Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back for another episode where we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 5, The Sighted and The Scene. Uh, I think everybody gets this title, right? I mean, The Scene or Gale and Salvor. The Sighted are The Mentalics, or The Sighted, as they like to be called, I guess. Yeah. Um, Aaron? What did you think of this episode? I was really excited by this episode. I thought this was a really excellent episode. Um, it did almost everything. Like all of the plot lines were effortlessly engaging. Uh, really good Imperial stuff. Um, I And also just as someone who's read the whole series again a long time ago, so I have vague memories. Um, I also think that they are just really smartly adapting the series. Um, you know, introducing like 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 last season the psychic powers, the psychic manifestations like Gale and Salvor have, and now introducing this planet full of mentalics or see or uh, sighted people. Um, I just think that's because yeah, like Foundation was something written in kind of a sequential like pulp serial way like i think if asimov could write them all over again and properly serialize them he probably would have but like what are you going to do you get these chapters that are coming yeah. out and you're writing it as you go like you know it already justifies playing a little bit of jazz with the just an adaptation but i actually think they're doing a really good job goyer and his team are doing a really good job of adapting the material for our current times our current technology and our current uh, media environment uh i love this episode what did you think nice uh yeah i don't have any experience with um this part of the story because i'm pretty sure this comes after book one at least i don't remember it uh but yeah i also thought it was an excellent episode it really kicks open a lot of doors right between the metallic stuff uh that they're doing that they're introducing which seems to be directly opposed to harry and yet i've heard the mule call these people, you know, Salvor or, or Gale or mentalics. mentalics. Yeah, right. So yeah. that's interesting because I think generally Gale and Harry are on the same side. So it's it, it kicks open that door uh, with, you know, the trickery that you can do with these mental projections and things. And mm-hmm. at the same time, it's kicking open the doors of memory or I guess rather shutting them. Right. Like the idea that Dusk and Dawn and even Day himself have potentially all been altered from the very start and they don't have the same memory set that the original Cleon does and they might not individually even have the same memory sets I think that's super fascinating uh, and, and it, it opens just so many doors of possibility and there's so many because like it could be that their memories have been tampered with at birth but also like I think they were disquieted by the realization of like what if his life was just that much more meaningful because he was a unique yeah. guy who had like forged all this and we're we're like living half or third lives because we're just endlessly stuck on this repeating cycle and we're not allowed to, like it's it's fascinating no matter which possibility is, is happening here mm-hmm. and then I started thinking about the different layers of dawn day dusk you know, who has what memories, right? Because if you're Dusk, well, you don't have the memories that Dawn has, right? Because Day has created those memories uh, and they've gone to the new clones, but not to you. So, like, th- there's this this constant cycle of almost diminishment, but then enhancement after a three-cycle uh, three, three run, right? It's 
I, I think it's super interesting and it, it's the complicated sort of thing that really gets me going with with the plot you could do so much with this yeah I I took the time because like I finally got caught up you know I was waiting for you to catch up to where I was at and I had a little bit of extra time this week and I went back and caught up on all of the official podcasts mm-hmm and um, I thought there were some interesting things that they put forth, like, for example, that were germane to this episode, for example. And I think as the, ep- the, the after episode for three, David Goyer was playing with the idea. Or I think it's um, Jason, Jason Concepcion asked him, you know, like when you copy a conscience from like a knife to a prime radiant to a ship computer, mm-hmm. you know, like, is that a control C or control V or are we copying or are we moving? Like, is there, you know, something left in the original device? And Goyer said that that's an entirely okay thing to be thinking about. (laughs) So the idea, and like, Uh I noticed, I was thinking about that. I just finished that podcast and I started this episode. And of course there's this prominent picture of Harry just staring at that knife Uh that, you know, that, the, 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 his, or like, I wonder if that like, you know, because we're thinking about the two Harry's, the one that's Uh like the pristine Dr. Selden uh, on Terminus and the half psycho flesh and blood one that we're seeing here. Um, The idea that there's potentially more, you know, every time we've seen Harry moved around or copied that there's a ghost or an echo or some unflipped bits or a hard drive you can unformat and recover. That's super interesting. And, and the knife itself as, is a storage device, right? That's the thing that initially he encoded himself onto. Yes. And we see him again in this opening scene getting his DNA all up on that. So even if it True. wasn't a residual copy that was still there after he was copied out, there could be a new yeah. one in there now, right? So, And how that, like, you know, in the show is uh, internally grappling with it that, you know, uh, Gail and Salver point out that you are Empire 2.0 now. Mm-hmm. You know, you are cloning yourself. You have uh-huh. multiple copies of yourself working a different purpose. Like, and he doesn't deny it. And that's fucking fascinating too. And then there's a the question of what, who, who I guess is Kale and why would Kale want him to be human again? You know, there, that's a fascinating thing to dig into in my opinion. And we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, the fact that it's a, manif- a manifestation of prime ra- uh, radiant, I thought it, um, you know it's also interesting the superpositional aspect of the prime radiant that it can be in more than one place at once. But I, I wish I could ask Goyer, and I guess I will be able to ask him next week if this appearance goes, or in the next week or two if this appearance goes through. Is like, yeah, what does that actually, you know, what does that what is, what what does that mean? I. Yeah, good question. Uh, there, there's the question of like, okay, Kale is a, is potentially, I still think it's a little up in the air, but they've told us that Kale is sort of the prime radiant itself, uh, that consciousness. Well, it has psychohistory to draw on, right? Mathematics to predict the future. And then you've got mentalics who presumably have visions of the future, when those two organizations clash, if they clash, if they're not one and the same, if they're not hand in hand in their goal, what does that look like? And when I say like, what does it mean? Like, because the way I understand a quantum superstate is it's not 
actually that there's two things in two separate locations. It's just there's right. a probability. And then when you actually go to look, it'll be one place or another. Are they introducing the idea that like Gale has hidden the prime radiant in the beggar somewhere and they're going to f- pull it out of her mind and go look, but then it's quantum super state flips and it's over, like going to be at the foundation. Like, or does he mean like in a more loose colloquial type of like, it can literally be in two spaces at one time. Yeah. It can copy itself. It can put itself. I- I'm, I'm curious. Cause I'm, you know, I'm wondering if it's going to work like, and I'm going to use a Harry Pre- uh, Potter reference. You don't understand like the sword of Gryffindor where it's like that can disappear and reappear where it's needed, but it's not like it can be at two different places. Gotcha. So I'm wondering if they're gonna if they're gonna somehow hide it from uh, the the god figure here. Yeah, uh, which it I was excited from them. Um, the goddess is played by a woman named Rachel House, who's a New Zealand actor, and I recognized her voice. I'm like, why do I know her? Why do I want to trust this woman? And I realized that she played the voice of Moana's grandma in Moana. Huh. And she is such a great, warm character. Like that, I found all that stuff translated. I'm like, God, I just want to like this person. And then when she had the like the possible heel turn at the end, I'm like, Oh no! Uh-huh. But yeah, I looked it up. It's uh, I this wasn't. It's uh, maybe it's because the episode hasn't come out yet, but it wasn't credited in Wikipedia or IMDb. But in the episode, Rachel House. So good grandma voice. Rachel House has got. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good grandma voice. Nothing wrong the with it. The amount of tears I that she made me shed with her grandma voice and Moana. Ugh, not mm-hmm. zero. Not zero for sure. Uh, right. but so the other thing about the go- the whole go- go- Goyer Corner, Goyer Foyer aspect of this is we got back and forth and we're trying to you know, get him scheduled for um, you know to come in at a mid-season. And I said, hey, I haven't seen things past four. Where do you think would be a good spot? And he actually cre- he said that he thought in his mind episode four is the weakest episode. Hmm. Uh, he recommended coming back to talk to him after episode 206 and he says without giving away I, I thought he said that's his favorite but what he actually says without giving too much away it's a pretty unique episode hmm. this is such a great episode and there's so many open questions that I cannot yeah. wait to get to 206 and see what this means as a what is it is it going to be a musical going to be the second <laughs> musical in as no, many weeks no 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 uh, <laughs> Please, I, I know the temptation is there. You, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't listen to him, David. We all want a musical episode of Foundation in season three. Who doesn't want to see all dusk and day and da- and 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 uh, dawn dancing their feelings out mm-hmm. with Lee Pace in the middle? Everyone wants to see that. Mm-hmm. No one doesn't want to see it. He doesn't even know <laughs> what he wants. Make it happen. Uh, Cleon the first also makes a real appearance here which i thought was super interesting there's so much stuff that did just we kinda, know he could do that was i don't that a, think like, so i uh, there might have been a reference of like because i remember us talking like could they just like thaw him out of there and just like you know uh-huh. come on but but they they kind of can and how does that work yeah. if you can't have artificial intelligences certainly seems artificial intelligence to me it's but i guess the empire memory. already has dimmerzel so it's not like yeah, yeah, they have no compassion about using. AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was super fucking cool. I I like that. And well, we need to. Yeah, we we need to get to it. <laughs> we do. There's so much to talk about. So much. All things have a cycle. First the podcast, then the ad.
Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. All new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bookaloo as they continue their discussion of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. Find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do, do you even know what it's like out there? N- no, n- not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are too. We're preparing to once again recommission The Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, The Ones Who Live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. Math is never just numbers. This isn't just a podcast. We're back with more Foundation. All right, we're going to start off with the flashback to when Harry had Rache kill him. Uh, then the newly human again, Harry, wakes in the modern day to find Raish haunting him with the words, I was your son and you let me die. But why am I surprised? We both know it wasn't the first time. Uh, then he snaps out of whatever dream state that was and Harry examines his newly human again body. Uh, this is where he kind of stabs himself you know, with the knife to make sure he's flesh and blood and there's definitely blood. I do wonder if this is just a function of the knife to make a copy of whoever it stabs and perhaps he is now going to be another copy in there. I thought this was a really, you know, interesting. It's never good when one of your characters starts self-harming, right? You know, like when someone starts cutting sure. in their own flesh just to see if they're still real or see if they feel anything like that's never coded as a positive thing. Um, so I'm I'm really worried for Harry and he's got all these guilt. I did wonder like what, what Rache meant by it's not the first time. It's not yeah. the first time he's let a son die. It's not the first time he's let someone he loves die. And like a delit. Yeah, if you want to read you know, it very I, I, literally, it's the son dying, but. Uh, yeah, it could be more than that. Yeah, and like, is are we talking about the first time he's it's someone's died because of his designs or because he, you know, cared more about his plan than I? I there, they could be a lot of things. Um, but what is clear is that physical Harry, person Harry, is feeling very guilty, mm-hmm. um, about the way this all has has worked out. 
or maybe I mean, not guilty just bad like you know it's it's interesting the way that he wakes up here because he wakes up as if he's just been stabbed he's he's feeling the literal physical pain i think from having just been stabbed well that was he, a plot point last year right that like there was something that went wrong the transference and he was not supposed to remember the time of his death but he mm-hmm. like like gail had to talk him out of the panic attack of him endlessly looping through being killed you know yeah but then then there's the idea that he has all the memories that he experienced during this the time he was just a uh ai consciousness right right and yet he's experiencing the moment as if he's just waking up from being killed physically so Mm. yeah they're 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 trying to tell us here that he is in fact flesh and blood and i think they did a very good job of that i believe it 100 percent. oh yeah his legs are wobbly he's bleed yeah yeah i I, the the fact that the ship sensors picked him up and they didn't before like that's a pretty good indication too Although it's weird because it does leave that like Callie, like what is she? Because this episode's uh-huh. like she was flat, like physical because I could hand her the prime radiant, but she also didn't show up on her scans. So it's like a halfway in between. You know, when Harry yeah. was a digital persona, he didn't show up on anything and he was, you know, insubstantial. You could put your hand right through him when he's mm-hmm. flesh and blood. Obviously, Callie's kind of like in between those two points in the spectrum. Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of a third state here. Um, She's quantumly superposed. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, and, and then all the stuff that Raish is saying, you know, this this image of Raish, which I think we can kind of say by the end of this episode is the mentalics themselves digging around in Harry. Yes. Um, yeah. And telling this, him this is... you're going to fail, right? I'm. We're going to see to it that you fail. Uh, they don't just want there to be no second foundation. They seem to have got it out for Harry's plan in general, which is interesting because Harry's plan is to try and prevent human suffering on an epic scale. Why do they want him to fail at his ultimate goal? Because his, his, there's a flaw in psychohistory and he's actually working across purposes when he's deluded. And they Potentially, seem like yeah. they're psychically... I mean, that's the thing. Like They're psychic and they can actually see the future well but is the future written in stone I mean Harry himself is talking to uh, that about Gale and Salvor so yeah and there's a I don't know there's a lot of interesting things here um, with like does she believe in the plan did she see something in Harry that makes her think that he is not capable of doing something like this or he shouldn't be trusted like we we don't really know right we don't Mm -hmm. have enough information because um, like right up until 10 seconds before the episode started I'm like this is fucking amazing they've met the you know this is they're going to get the second foundation on track they got a uh-huh. good ally here um, powerful ally uh, and then she's going to try to thwart all that but yeah I, I don't know or maybe maybe that uh, humanity has to die for the new race of psychic enabled fully gifted humans to thrive there there it's is like a definite scenario. bias there there is a a bigotry that i detected from her <laughs> in her discussion well but it's like a magneto type bigotry yeah right less than um, they, she views harry as less than because he does not have this sense right 
it also is like it's a it's a it's I like things like this in sci-fi because it's a way to test drive like what it'd be like to be like to have a disability and to have people tell uh-huh. you like oh you're well, you just you, you're blind or you're you, you know you're you're deaf or you know and you couldn't possibly because you know it's like just how what's the word I'm looking for patronizing it is for someone to be like oh well you've got you know you don't have your full suite of senses so obviously you're at best trying to compensate for your week. It it's uh-huh. nice to be like God. What would it be like to be dismissed like that? <laughs> you know, and in the context of this story, yeah, it would make a lot of sense for them to be trying to right the wrongs, their perceived wrongs of the past, by creating a mm-hmm. society led by them. You know, yeah, and like yeah, that's the thing. It's like there's a magneto quality to it too, because none of these people are like, oh, we are so good as psychics, we should. It's more like you have persecuted and hounded us and tried to kill us, so we've now banded together for. Pe- that's pretty uh-huh. noble. You can't really have you know fault that too much. Right, right. Just you know, where does that lead you? Because <laughs> that can yeah. go dark places too. So, sure, sure. Uh, but like I said, it's it's like it's very an X Men kind of thing that like maybe maybe humanity has to die off so that a new humanity that's psychically enabled that's better can flourish uh-huh and i could see that you know i, I could see her why i want she want to put the kibosh on harry just for that yeah now let's move over to gail salvor and harry talking about how he got his human form back they think that kale cloned him uh salvor shows him that the foundation has begun to spread itself with the message of magic and then they arrive at Ignis, and they lose control of their ship and go in for a pretty hot landing. Uh, and then when they hit the ground, Salvor's like, uh, she she spotted something in the mountains, a glint of light, and thinks somebody was watching him, so she kind of springs into action to guard them. How compromised is Harry's copy here? Because we know there was a problem with the transfer. We didn't know he spent... Uh, an eternity and rob and in AI terms, uh, having his mind blasted apart. Um, and then it's like you compare the Doctor Selden because that's something that they said on the official podcast that there's like you'll there's a subtle difference that like Harry on Trantor is called Doctor Selden and kind of insists upon it, whereas Harry mm-hmm. with Gale and Salvor is just Harry. Yeah. So you got Doctor Salver, I think it's a, or a Doctor Selden on Terminus, and you've got Harry here uh on on and ignis um yeah i don't know how compromised he is still but yeah because like dr selden seems like nothing surprises him it's like i see you're in the religious phase whereas like the way harry observes the religious thing is he says well it's bound to happen people do love to kneel which is a great line but like mm-hmm. that doesn't say one way or another but you could definitely read that to be like he's a little surprised or he's trying to justify it yeah yeah I could see that um and yet he's supposed to be the guy leading the second foundation which is well is he supposed to be leading it I don't know anyway he's supposed to be the guy with the overall plan right he planned to have a a version of his consciousness coming with Raish because that was the whole point of the knife the knife yeah there that was an intended part of the plan but you know like this goes back to like what is the intended plan was the plan you know because I read some compelling theories back in the day that the whole reason Raish had to die or, or the whole reason that Raish had to kill it's not that Harry lost his nerve but Harry was trying to force Raish into a position that he would have to flee the ship and start the second foundation and leave Gale. 
yeah. because Harry could see that this this Gale thing was a complication he couldn't afford. He needed these two people to be unsuperposed, to be in two separate places at once, and they weren't yeah. do, going to do it. Um, now, the big question that I don't think anyone knows, except for maybe one David S. Goyer, is did he anticipate Raish throwing Gale into the escape pod? I don't think so. I, I mean, that, that's the thing that I think is pretty definitive, right? Because he tells Raish, do not go say goodbye to her. And oh, he says it's so Harry's saying but... stuff is a definite like because guys, I'm saying like okay, well, but like sure. he, if he knows would, that he will anyway Gale, and he, says that, to, yeah, yeah. Well, Rache even have thought to do that had he not put it into his like don't throw her into that briar patch, Briar uh, Fox. Like you know, like, sure, sure. I mean, is it reverse yeah, psychology, can... psycho history, reverse psycho history? You really twist yourself up with that stuff, uh, dude. Yeah, yes, it's it, it's impossible to know what would have happened and whether Harry intended it unless he comes out and says it, which he hasn't yet. So, yeah, there's already so many like, you know, uh, <laughs> like the, the, the people in the feedback saying like, oh, my God, I'm Matt. I'm suspecting that the uh, Gwayan or Galen or whatever his name Glaylen. is like. He's a he's a double agent. He's a clone. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, any time where people can be multiple things and multiple existences, it, it gets it gets hard not to run yourself into a hamster wheel uh-huh. mentally trying to figure it out. What about when they can be both? When at one time they were a double agent sure. and then their memory was wiped and now they're not, you know? It's like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... it's you can absolutely you can twist up yourself a- up with this show and I kind of love it. Yeah, and you can end up in a Westworldian kind of mess where it all collapses, or you're, you know, you can it can end up in some really compelling, mind-bending sci- science fiction. So far, we stayed in the the latter, so mm-hmm. I'm rooting for it. So let's put it that way. I love how uh, sarcastic Salvor is about specifically with Harry here. She's like, someone wanted you flesh and blood again, and after all that trouble you went to, turning yourself into an idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. He's yeah. Yeah. He's so getting sarcastic. Like, I love it. But there again, was that the plan all along? Mm-hmm. And here's the thing: I don't know that Kale is in league with the Mentalics, uh, but turning Harry into a human has an effect, and that effect is effectively shortening his lifespan. As a mm. AI construct, he can live an infinite amount of time. As a human, he's going to die in X number of years. He was, still can, though, right? There's no reason that he couldn't live another, you know, 50 years and then upload his brain again before he dies, right? Sure, sure. But there's the potential but to kill him much easier, you know, kill the, and also the body and that's dead. And regardless, that's not that won't be the same Harry. Like sure. old man Harry with another 50 years of experience. That is a different thing than prime of his life. You know, right as on the cusp of realizing his plan, Harry dying. Yeah, I mean, it changes the state of Harry, and my question is, why? Why does Kale want to change the state of this particular version of Harry? I don't know. I thought it was interesting <laughs> also that Harry warns uh, Gale here not to let what she saw in the vision affect, because, like, you know, Gale is, like, sweating bullets over Salvor doing her Salvor thing. She's going to go and be a warden, you know? She's going to patrol the perimeter and it all makes sense you know they made a lot of noise um but like harry's trying to but what does harry take his own advice what advice would that be 
to not let his visions affect her. Affect him. I don't know how like you the, can. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, it's the that's pink like when a judge thing, tells right? a jury disregard the evidence <laughs> yeah, you just yeah. heard. Right? Like, do they really? Like, you know, or, or don't think about the pink elephant. Oh well, I wasn't yeah. until you said something about it. Now I am, and and how can she really know whether her actions would have been the same if she didn't have this information? Because you can go the other way too, right? You can say, well, I'm trying to protect her too much, so I need to stop protecting her at all. But then yeah. that might not be what you would do without that information. So it's impossible not to let it affect you. It's just, yeah, yeah how, how I, she's stuck in that. She's stuck in it now. Yeah, I just like, yeah, I just keep on thinking, like all the things that have happened to Harry. How much is the plan? How much is not the plan? How resilient to psycho history? Mm-hmm. How are the, how is the mentalics monkey wrench going to affect things? That's just all. I I can't wait to see what answers they come up with. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm also curious why Empire would walk away from this planet a thousand years ago. It seems to have abundant resources. You're telling me they mined all the lithium and the copper and the gold and every titanium shit out of this? Seems untouched. There's too many planets. You can't exploit them all. You just literally, if you Maybe. have, you know, yeah. it's like the if you're a you got a mansion with forty bathrooms. There's probably one bathroom you've never taken a piss in, right? Uh huh. Yeah, unless you, you could. make it a point it's to. There, it's got the porcelain throne, but you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, unless you make it a point to go through. Yeah, why? Unless you make a point to exploit all the planets simultaneously, why would you do that? Maybe that's what uh, that previous emperor, the traitor, was was branded a traitor for. He left this planet with resources on it. It's not the same emperor. I thought that they were going for something like that, but the emperor that they mentioned that was this the Summer Palace is different from the emperor that got his neck painted green. Okay, yeah, they're two separate entities. Because I, I thought that too. probably was. Uh, so Sarath and Rue uh, meet in the gardens with Empire's guard Markley to get an update on how the spying is going. Answer, not well. Uh, no access to the recordings or information on whether Day killed her family. So Sarath decides to infiltrate Day's bedroom to get a look around with Rue advising caution. I thought the description of Sarath was interesting because Rue says you're not that shy sad princess anymore and she says that died when my family died uh that's not how she described herself earlier and i know her whole reason for being here is a ruse but i thought it was interesting that she described herself as this dilettante right i think that's consistent though because a dilettante is like a person who is you know like a young non-serious person right um they just kind of flitters about doing whatever they want um and that's who she was before then her family dies and she's this sad shy girl no and then she turns into this that's how i interpreted Uh -uh. it no she says the the shy sad girl died when her family died she was shy and sad before that why was she sad that's the I thing that I don't like the shy fine whatever but like why would she be sad when she had her family there yeah I, I'm not I, sure that's that's how I thought it was worded but I could be wrong like I think this episode is like if you had any other theory other than Empire killed her family yeah, that yeah. theory has to die like you know it's, yeah. it's I mean, pretty Dimmer's much I don't think it. that 
yeah like uh i did it and it but it was at your hand and it can't track back to you mm-hmm. um there is no like yeah like uh, there, there's no theory of her being super ruthless killed her own family that's none of that shit hunts but yep um and i i don't i don't do you have a problem with someone who was a sad dilettante becoming someone who can stand toe-to-toe with the day not necessarily no it's just the difference in how she described herself i thought uh yeah was notable it's a hero's journey right you have a person who is comfortable in the box they're in and then some extraordinary event happens and they find i mean obviously it's you know she says she wasn't born to the role and trained for the role but there is that like she was around those types of people and that that capability is something that you know her her other fam so it's like there's you know she just needed to write inciting event yeah and she got it um, and the hero i mean put put some emphasis on that hero for this hero's journey right because well let's not forget as much as we like watching them the cleons are villains you know yeah uh, yeah for sure th- you want to hasten their downfall and that's i think exactly what she's trying to do and i don't know if a green young girl no matter how much prep she's got no matter how good her advisors are could stand toe to toe against Klingon cleon one or some of the earth but like this particular day is yeah. i'm finding very wanting uh-huh <laughs> there's not much to admire about him personally in terms of leadership uh i'm on team dawn slash dusk here to the extent that i'm on anybody's side yeah me too uh so day gets word that sarith wants to copulate which is great but he's not sure he can get it going with anyone other than dimmerzel so she gives him a little encouragement then leaves uh sarith enters his chambers and takes a look around, sort of commenting on the architecture, um, noticing things that are a little strange, and then they start to get down to business, but Day realizes, ah, she's actually here to investigate this assassination and how it failed, and she claims she wants to know if it's because she's safe here, and they argue bitterly, which (laughs) results in them getting engaged. (laughs) So Everybody's trying to, like play the other person in this scene and play the role they need to play to not give away too much information it's a really good scene yeah. I love how day like matter factly when Dimmerzel comes in is like so how did it go he's like well she suspects that I killed her family so of course I had to counter accuse her of assassinating me things got heated we're engaged uh-huh. uh huh and I thought it was gonna end there I thought that conversation was meant to imply the day had her family killed because when he says I had to say uh, these things, you know, it, it's implied to cover up the fact that I killed her family, but they just go right into it. Demerzel's yeah. like, yeah, yep. it won't track back to you. Uh, yeah, we're good. I think they could have done another episode or two with me kind of like bouncing around two opinions, but I think it's a shine, sign of confidence that at the mid-season point, they're already like, nah, we're going to reveal the mystery and do something even yeah. cooler with it. We've got more in store Presumably. Here. This is not um, trick. Yeah, I there's so, so many like man this day uh we continue to see like he is like the the whole idea of like the rings around trantor are meant to be not seen from you know to not disrupt the vision of the sky and he's like i don't want that i want iron bands circling the planet so they feel the shack he's strapping the shackles that they only live by my consent this is insane uh-huh no he he is a megalomaniacal dictator that's exactly what and- he is and she plays him like a fiddle because she got so much out of this conversation and I don't think he got 
anything. The other thing is like when uh, this, I feel like I'm the stupidest person in the world because when she started going around and like looking at the walls and she saw that splotch and he goes, oh, it's a fung. I, don't, I just took it at face value. I'm like, oh, this is another sign of the corruption of the rot of the empire. Like, and look how shoddy this thing has been repaired. Like no one. But then I'm like, yeah. oh, right. These are all the bullet holes and the blade marks and the split. They've been hastily repaired and just like what's it been two days. Yeah, not long for sure. Uh, and, and I like how one is sort of in the same location that he got stabbed, right? Right in the heart there. And it, it's kind mm. of thematically appropriate too because he is sort of putting a knife through the heart of the Cleonic dynasty. Yeah. And uh, they've got, I just, yeah, the, the the way that she came in there and I kept on thinking like, well, maybe she's losing control of the situation. But she's revealed him to be very... She, she sees his insecurities. You know, that whole thing of him fumbling where he's on top of her dress and trying to get it, like, you know. and It's yeah. just, just like, yeah. just, just, just revealed him as a buffoon and then gets him in a situation where he either has to solve this problem or be made to look even weaker in front of her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he can solve... I don't know that he can... Like, I don't know it's within his power to find a murderer. Yeah, uh, we'll see. There's so many subtly flashing red flags and alarm bells in this episode in terms oh, yeah. of the Cleon and their their diminishing power. Uh, I mean, we'll get there when we get to the records department, but I don't like. And they're really telling a tale of like Dimmer, the the Cleons just leaning on Dimmerzel too totally. much. Yep, and to the extent that she's almost got them into a learned helplessness. Uh. Yeah, yeah I, it's, I just, it's such a you can feel the change from Cleon the Third that we were seeing in it was no I think it was like the thirteenth Cleon the Thirteenth yeah, yeah. that we were seeing in the first season versus this Cleon. Uh-huh. There's a huge drop off. It's it's remarkable. And there was a big difference between Dusk and him. Like like the way he lot- played uh, the religious leader last year was mm. so much stronger than the way he's playing Sareth here. And Dimmerzel did not feel nearly in control last season as like it felt like they got her in some really compromising positions. But like, you know, I had some like, I'm not sure where to consent issues. This episode convinced me that Dimmerzel is running the whole show from the from the verbal fluffing to the sex to every like all these are attempts to manipulate and control the Cleons. And it might be Dusk's fault. Dusk certainly blames himself for this. I don't know if that's a win the true fall the true deterioration started but the last day seems to have been a lot right it really paints in a new light pardon the pun his observation is like why wait uh for painting to be a chore like he started the retirement phase of dusk and day just because what else am i going to do i I got zero fucks about anything except for i'm just going to find something i'm going to flirt with people and like he just spent all his time in the pleasure gardens and painting uh-huh. um and that felt like something like okay well he's like you know like, that felt like more of a positive thing this episode frames it more of a person shrinking from responsibility rather than like being more well-rounded and balanced as an individual yeah absolutely uh i will say he does learn one thing about her is that she's smart i think he's gonna take her yes. more seriously after this um because he can't afford not to at this point and she's he i think he finds it very attractive how like 
he was super into that spanking conversation, I think. <laughs> I'll have to have the paddles made, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but that was more the, of the like an ego thing, wasn't it? Like he's going to put his mark on these people? Maybe. That's what it felt like to me. Was like, oh, that's actually know. a really good idea. I'm going to put my stamp, literally put a mark on people. Hmm. Try to think like what is Dimmerzel? How does she present in bed to him? Like I, I want the, the words like "dami mommy" came to mind because she is giving him like all of this unconditional love mm-hmm. and affection and self-esteem boosting, but she's also very tightly controlling him. Yeah. So there is okay. a little element, and he's got to be subconsciously attracted to that. So when she was taking is, power yeah. and being this kind of like you know. Uh, the, the literal like you know Madonna whore complex in his bedroom where she's like oh I've never done this before but also I'm talking about spanking and uh, mm-hmm. you know all this other stuff um, it was intriguing him until he realized it was an act and then it disgusted him yeah and he's trying to project uh, power and ego to her whereas he's actually quite insecure right yeah like Lee Pace is a good actor for being showing like an insecure guy trying to pose on a bed. Yep. Like all of that was almost Austin Powers esque uh-huh. in in how unsophisticated and unrefined it was. And, and, and yet the image I think still works. Right. You've got this yeah very powerful looking man draped yeah. in robes uh, splayed across this massive bed. Like the yep. grandiosity of it all comes through, even though just under the surface is this very insecure guy who's kind of out of his element here. Yeah, there's a lot of like, um, like, uh, like age regression. Like I noticed even in yeah. uh, uh, Dusk and Dawn, like when they're talking to Cleon, there's this petulance. There's this like a uh, scolded child aspect that was never, I never re- remembered it being, no. or if it was, it was such a sub note in the other uh, versions of Empire. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's this it's literally degeneracy. Uh-huh. You know, they're they're devolving. Yeah. Um, and then we go on to Rue and Dusk, who are watching the recording of their meeting thirty years ago when they hooked up. They rewind to when he spotted her in the Gossamer Court, and she says she has no memory after that. And they fast forward back to the sex part of the recordings as they talk about the details of memory wipes. This is interesting. Rue tells him, I think, to plant a little bit of doubt here, that he's lucky to be able to trust his memories so strongly. Is this intentional? Like, is she, this is, this is to put the, okay, so they are, this is a really sophisticated, multi-pronged plan that they are launching against Empire based solely on Seraph's suspicion that, Day killed her family and Rue's knowledge of the imperial of of this particular empire. Yeah, and it might be a little improvised here by Rue because she doesn't really know about the mechanisms of all this memory stuff yet. Um, Why wouldn't that she? they? Well, that they keep a memoriam of all these memories, right? Because she has to explain it to Sarath later, which uh. I think it indicates that they didn't know this going in. Um, gotcha. So this was getting intelligence guess. So, so they're like, I'm we're yeah, we're there. Yeah. It's like how much of the plan was like concrete and how much of it was this? We hope this happens. We hope this happens. We hope this happens. Cause how could they possibly yeah. have known? I don't think they could, but they're looking for ways to diminish these guys. Right. Like, to okay, drive your plan is to go in there. Them. 
go in the dusk, flatter him, get him to re, re in a position where they're talking about recalling memories so you can probe. And like, and then how much of it is an intention? Like, did she just want the information and the right? Um, and then the suspicion that it was raised in his mind, the paranoia, was just like a bonus. Yeah, objective. the opportunity presented itself. Let's take it. Yeah, I look at how Sarah has been treating Dawn, and I say, well, this is all designed to drive wedges between the three Cleons. Yeah, that's like that's the most naked attempt of like totally peeling yeah. all. But 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 they've got empire divided against itself to where even Cleon, uh -huh. the original, is disgust disgusted. And then you look at what Cleon the first says when they call him up, and he's like, "You are one. That is the strength of the empire, right? Is that these yeah. three people are one person? And so if you can cut a knife through that, you kind of destroy what empire is." The other thing that they they mentioned on the official podcast I hadn't put two, two and two together is the fact that, and I don't know the day the, the Dawn realizes this too, is that Dawn will have to die if this marriage goes through under the Game of Thrones rule of that he would be hmm. a constant threat to the rule. Because you'd be like, if, if yeah. there's any problems with the, the day dynasty, all the royal retainers and the rich and powerful are going to be like, we never gave Dawn a chance. We're, you know, we're subverting the will of Cleon the first. This isn't about like in like he's it'd be the most fragile thing in the world. Whereas if he kills day Dawn, they have to commit. They have to commit to the new way of doing things. So like, huh. I don't think I didn't. Number one, I, that wasn't on my radar. And Neither. I don't think it's anywhere on Dawn's radar. And Dusk, I mean, Dusk says. Look, the good thing about what's happening here is you can have what every young man yeah, wants they're a both... life in direct yeah. opposition to that. I'd say they're shockingly naive, but here I am with them. So like I'd be right there. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, so like, yeah, it's um, that's a good point. Um, yeah. Yeah. That threat would be there. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, and this but is yeah, the, the scene the, that kind of sets up what we're going to learn about the memories later, where they don't actually know that the memories have been removed. They just kind of, they feel nothing about them, right? Yeah, it feels like Dawn had this, or I'm sorry, Dusk had this unsh this this rock solid belief that like I would know, I would I would feel the ah, it'd be like a, a missing tooth, you know, your tongue's just sure. like all up in that, like oh my god, something's changed, but like. Nah, apparently not. It's it's like oh, I thought it'd be like a wad of cotton in your mind. You could feel it. You kind of see it. She's like, nah, it's just like it's, it's seamless. Mm -hmm. Um, which also is she telling the truth? Because that'd be the other thing. Like, what if it is like a gaping hole in your mind, and she's just lying to him to fuck with him? It's possible. Um, yeah, and I think maybe we can talk about more about like the details of this when we get to the scene where they're examining the Cleon's memory uh, mm -hmm. sizes because there's there's a lot of implications around that um, but I mean she's doing everything she can here to undermine their relationship Dusk's relationship with the other Cleons like e even the one it, it almost feels like she's rubbing it in in the same scene very subtly too because when she talks about you know wanting to remember the view of the top of the mountain even if she also has to remember the fall I feel like she's telling him hey you're falling right now you know this is you're experiencing the fall do you not realize it yeah e even though she, you know she she's causing the fall she doesn't want him to realize it but she can't like help herself to kind of get a dig in because Sarah is doing that too really just there's no way that Rue has 
feelings for because I feel like the dusk kind of so. sees her as the one that got away. A you know, when he's yeah. like smiles wistfully about like you could have someone to love, you can have a life, you could have a fan. Like I think he's thinking of Rue. Like you see this very intimate scene where they're like curled up in bed. Like I think there's like some kind of love there. There's close as it comes from the Empire anyway. And that Gossip uh, Report scene is great too. It establishes yeah. that right. Like she's the only person in the court who wouldn't, who who wasn't trying to impress him. Or yeah. even if she was trying to impress him, she was doing it in a way that really did impress him. But she had a plan. She went into the gospel uh-huh. court with more than just a sick hip tattoo and a firm young ass. <laughs> she had a plan. Yeah. Uh, so it's like that kind of set her up as, you know, someone who, you know, naturally attracts attention because she's worth, you know, she's 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 worthy of it. Um, and then he I, ate but it I, up. Yeah. 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 I, but I think she's doing exceptionally good job of acting in, you know, there's no way she can like respect or love Empire in a way that he might so. or may not. Uh, also, yeah. kind of shocking. Uh, he took a chunk out of her shoulder. That's a nasty scar. That's you oh, know, I, I the, didn't really see the, it. the love really? biting. Yeah, no, there's a giant circular scar where he bit her hard wow. enough to leave a thirty-year-old scar. <laughs> there you go. See if he had the paddle with the seal on it, he wouldn't he have wouldn't needed have to, to do bite. That. Yeah, he was paddler. He wears custom dentures so he can bite in an imperial logo. <laughs> sure. <laughs> It's like a cookie cutter shark only with branding. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to Salvor stalking through the jungle, sneaking up on the person who's been stalking her. Turns out it's Hugo. Uh, he explains how he's lived so long, cryosleep, of course, like everybody on this show. And she believes him, and they embrace. I did not fucking believe this for one second. Well, I am the opposite of you because I, I feel I, I feel like I'm I'm a wretchedly naive. I don't know why because I was at first I was, but the more he started talking and like, well, how the hell would he? Because the thing I didn't put the I didn't remember the why they were there in the first place because they heard some psychic whisper. But like I'm like, well, how the fuck uh, yeah. would he ever know? Number one, her name. Number two, the fact that she was in a sleep cycle. Number two, that they're the, like he knew so much that only Hugo or Salvor could know. But of course, they can read minds. So yeah, but yeah, I was sense, fucking right? taking in and, and until Harry started being. But even then, they were telling me like, because I was with guys like what three kilograms? What the f-? yeah? Like I take a shit after <laughs> breakfast and I'm 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 doing that. Like what are we talking about here, Harry? What? But yeah. yeah, I was I was the world's biggest fool. I would have been Gale. I'd have been letting this dude in, no problems. You know what it was for me that tipped their hand early? A, it's because I have a slight knowledge of things, of the mentalic stuff, right? I knew the mentalics were a thing. I knew there were telepaths. So that idea was that in the first com- book? Completely. No, no. It's just from our discussions okay, okay. about the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and the other thing that tipped me harder was the fact that whoever this is, you know, this mentalic at the end, we'll see, is stalking her with a knife out. And when she encounters him, he whips up this knife like he's going to attack her. Hugo would never attack her. Why would he? But Hugo might be concerned. It's Yeah, I, I don't know. Like he I, I could see being ready for action because like a ship crashes, you know, it's your ship and stuff. But like. It crashed. Like, was Salvor fighting for something? Like, I, I, I can see having 
Because it'd be one thing if they fought, but like he whipped sure, around sure. the knife and she said drop and he, you know, from there. So it's like, I feel like having a knife out running towards a crash is not a crazy thing to do. But again, yeah, I'm maybe. the biggest idiot in the world. So like, don't try to replicate my way of thinking. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it almost was and maybe the I wanted. Also, I kind of wanted like I thought her. Mm-hmm. I thought Hugo and Salvor was cute. And that's a, I, I was kind of like I wanted a guy that was able like you know he's a kind of a swashbuckling roguish kind of character and and a a little bit of a hober mallow i wanted him to find a way to cheat death and be with his lady friend i think everybody did and i think this is the show kind of playing with that right yeah saying what you wanted hugo back here you go he's back played me like the queen of dominion plays the empire (laughs) Uh uh-huh like a fucking phil yeah uh, he's also wearing goggles here. I, I don't know if this is a Hugo staple or what, but it's a little mule-like. Little yeah, bit. that's the other thing. And like, I keep, I know I, I there's no way, because like, the other thing I thought is like, time-shifted uh, baby of Salvor and Hugo's back on the table, baby, <laughs> just in a completely different way than I thought. Um, but I'm like, oh, wait, that doesn't avoid the brother constant problem. That They still can't be related. And, but, <laughs> And she was never pregnant. That's that's the big problem is she never had a kid. Well, she could have been pregnant. It just the, you know, like if she, she was like six, she's like one week pregnant going into sure. cryo tank. It's not going to get us to where we need to be for brother constant. But right. yeah, there, there, that is a definite, definite mulish look with those goggles. I think so. Yeah. I don't know what they would be getting at. Cause I don't know that much about the, mule or the mentalics or anything i only know that they exist it seems he that he has to be a thespian if he's got those blue eyes and yeah. there's only two we know constant and hugo so so far and yeah maybe it's the child of hober mallow and constant oh all right they actually need to get around to boning she needs she needs uh-huh. to join that list <laughs> she needs to get in line uh yeah but i think you know by the end of this episode we'll understand what all this was yeah uh then we're gonna go back to sarath reporting back to rue saying well i'm now engaged to empire um they still want to get the recordings of the memories from the attack and markley says nope that's impossible but rue remembers from her conversation with dusk that memories are stored permanently in a place called the memoriam and they send Markley to get the memories of the doctors who attended today's wounds during his attack. Smart, because they can't, the, the stuff for the Cleons is sealed. Yeah. Did you, and, and then we'll, did, we'll we, see the scene where Markley actually goes goes and does that. Okay, I wondered if you had actually, that's like, wait. No, but we, we can talk he about goes to, to the to, to the adventures of young Steve Buscemi <laughs> for the record department. <laughs> I like this guy a lot. I do too because I like upon about him that is so much fun. But if you need the twenty-year-old-ish Steve Buscemi for a role, this is Uh the guy. Like you, speaking of the genetic dynasty, like they decanted, (laughs) like right? Yeah, like like thirty-year-old Steve Buscemi held this child, this child in his hands, and said, "You know, the the, our our dream lives through you." Uh, (laughs) It's like wild the resemblance Uh to such a unique person. Keeper Yartel, yeah, this guy. No, I this guy guy going places, man. I like him. 
this this guy hugely entertaining like the and i I love the fact that like he keeps the same kind of pissy annoyed energy with empire yep with dawn and dusk Uh uh-huh and dusk notices it like i should fuck i should have this guy (laughs) fucking yeah i should but yeah he's uh it's a good plan a good 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 smart plan by sarath okay ron i know you didn't know this until just earlier today before we recorded this podcast Apple TV screeners are giving us subtitles, which was a lifesaver in this scene Thank, for me. Then it's the first is the first screener company I've ever seen take the trouble to do it. So Thank you. Not only is this I mean obviously if, uh, if there's any uh uh impaired critics out there, this is going to be a lifesaver for them, but also yeah, just like my 46-year-old ears. Thank you for not having me try to approximate weird alien spellings. And and, and- take note all the other streaming companies all the other people doing screeners because apple is doing it right high quality 4k streaming yes, for screeners beautiful quality and subtitles get on it uh it's all we want it's all we want so so clavager is what keeper yartel calls markley when he walks in is this a surname is this a position I think it's his name, but Clavager, I don't know. That uh, what that sounds like a weird French military term, right? Potentially. Yeah, this could this could be or, you know, just an alien term, no, a made up term. It means custodian warden. Okay, there we go. Uh, so he is a Clavager. We know what's called it. Especially someone that like keeps or holds keys. All right. So yeah, that's a title. That's a title. And then this guy behind the desk here is Keeper Yartel. Um, Markley requests the images, the recordings from the Aslepium, A-S-C-L-E-P-I-U-M. I don't know. I assume this is the hospital. It has to be. Because the memoriam is the place where they keep the memories. The Aslepium is going to be the place where they aslep people, obviously. Oh, this is the, <laughs> that's like, it's because of a cephal, uh, a Asleepus? Asleepus? Uh he's the Greco Roman god of medicine. He's where we get the snake go. staff. Perfect. Thanks for the real time research. I didn't have time to do that this week. No problem. Uh yeah, so so I oh. it, this already got me spinning, right? My my brain turning saying, okay, what evidence is Markley leaving behind? Keeper Yartel's memories presumably stored in the memoriam. Seeing Markley come and make this request, not at the request of any of the days, but will they know that? Or will they assume that their memory of requesting this has been erased by another day? That's the funny thing, is that that's one of the red flashing alarm bells. The fact that the Keeper is like making note of like, my God, everyone is requesting memories these days. No one can keep track of it. Uh-huh. And uh, that, like, I thought the jig was up when day or dusk and dawn show up later. But like, they're so paranoid to draw the suspicion of day that they that that that, that team Dominion might get away yeah. with it because of the divided nature of Empire. Yeah, they just let that comment roll right off them, right? Yeah, and you can see it. They're like, "What the fuck? We should," but like, "Oh, we can't ask too many questions yep. because." We don't want. Then we to have know to start coming up with the answer. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's really like it's a unique vulnerability they're exploiting. And again, it's like one of those things where I like, I think it's half clever plan by Dominion, half the Empire stepping on their own dick. 
uh-huh. uh, like so many nightgowns that are trying to <laughs> remove to get act. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not working. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they're Markley's taking some big risks here, and I don't. I, I guess he just wants to be rich and run away from Empire. That's the plan for Markley. Well, that's the other flashing red alarm. The fact that you got one of your custodians that is like your your Imperial Guard that's like turning traitor on you because you got... I mean, there's so many, you know, like, and even when uh, Dusk is saying like, oh, I just let all these fires burn. And I let the robot take care of it. Like there's this, this, this whole episode is telling us and it's all about regret too, right? That's the theme yeah. of this episode. Um, and and the, 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 the question of treason is in there, but yeah, regret. Yeah, the, the, the Empire just let Jesus take the wheel, and Jesus is Demerzel in this universe, so... Yep. Where is she driving? Speaking of Demerzel, uh, this next scene is pretty big for Dusk. He questions Demerzel about Day's authority to remove memories from himself and or Dawn, and he wonders how he would even know to ask about missing memories if they don't feel like they were missing. And Demerzel assures him, oh, I, I would tell you, I have the best interests of Empire at heart. I would tell you if Day had altered your memories. And I think it's still an open question about whether she would at the end of this episode because I don't I don't know that any of their memories have necessarily been altered by day. Well, does she does is that part of the cleanup process of killing <laughs> of killing the other of Sarah's family? Have their memories been altered in that way? So would Demerzel tell Dusk the truth? Is she locked? Because like the whole the the thing sure. about Demerzel is like when she's doing that. Uh, oh, Cleon, I'll always be here for you. Just how I always have been there for you. I would inform you if they did something that. I don't know that she's telling the truth. And yeah, the way that question. Laura Burn. uh, Byrne is playing it. I think you're supposed to wonder if she's telling the truth. Yes. But she's also got this kind of inscrutable sing-song mother voice that she uses all the time. It's it's this, this is the thing, yeah. man. She's the power behind the throne at this point and I don't know if she cares what any of these people think. <laughs> Cuz empire is more important. Well, and we had we we got to get to the empire scene too, the Cleon the first scene For because sure. this is another big piece of this puzzle. I want to talk about the very beginning of this scene. But this, but none of this none of this reassures Dusk. That's no, like none of this conversation. No, this sends obviously. him on the mission to go yes, find out if yes, the memories yes, have been yes. altered. Yes. Uh, at the beginning of the scene, it starts up with Dusk saying, Are you saying only Day has the authority to alter his memories? Yeah. Why would he ask that question? Was he trying to alter Day's memories? Ooh, or was he just trying to call up an audit for them? Or may yeah. That's a weird question to ask. Are you saying only Day has the authority to alter his memories? Why was he asking about altering Day's memories? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, was he just asking theoretically or was he just like, I need to alter something. And she's like, you can't fucking do that. Yeah, it's a weird place to jump in on this conversation. You know, interesting. Okay. All right. Uh Oh, our dynastic empire is experiencing some genetic drift. We'll be right back. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. 
Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain, featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. The algorithm says the podcast will continue. Welcome back to Foundation. Uh, I have so many notes on this scene. <laughs> so many notes. Uh, let me ask you this. Why hasn't Dave removed the memories of his own involvement in ki- the killing of Sarah's family? Would that not insulate him more? Or would that weaken him because he now doesn't have the... F- all the information uh that so my personal bias says like because i you know like all information is good information is better than less information information so, is power. Like, knowledge is power yeah i think having accurate knowledge about the world is the only kind of power that we have over it um but Don and Dust definitely don't need that power but so i think from an ego perspective that, that even though like yeah that's logically how you would just square that circle like I just you do it Demerzel and then remove the idea that I even asked so that I'll pass any lie detector I'll yeah. be complete shock and sincere but his ego you know because you know. this this I thought it's fascinating the framing of this day grew up in the shadow of a day that he loathed because he saw him as a lazy hands off mm-hmm good but like yet this is the guy who's is is him fucking Demerzel like a power play like not only you're not going to run my life but I you're going to be like my hmm. pleasure it pop but I doesn't again, feel I like think it's portrayed is, that way but it feels like something Demerzel's doing to kind of keep control over him but I but that's the thing is like that this day is reaction to the previous day who we know is a lazy kind of like uninterested empire yeah, it seems like all so, of that, so that is would directly make it resulting like it, in this this marriage alliance, right? Like, D- yeah. Day, Day has not been able to make his mark because Dimmerzel's been running the Empire for so long. So even this current Day has not been able to make a mark. So now he's going to do something that will absolutely make a mark, right? But they, been, but they painted these characters so many layers because you go back and think about that this, what for whatever reason, this Day is uniquely drifted. Uh-huh. And to the point that he has a hard time syncing up with the others. So, like, there's also this inferiority complex of, like, sure. how is a Dusk that was more of a Cleon than I ever will be such a shit emperor? Like, 
and 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 mm. I'm trying to be a good emperor, and I'm not even half the Cleon he is. Like there's there's something to that uh, inherent. Like that like the day was yourself, like right. Y- yes, yes, and do whatever yes. it takes. Yeah, 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 and then that would cause you know it's it's it it's interesting because I've also I I've read things about you know narcissists are also a lot of the time self-loathing which is crazy right Mm -hmm. you would think narcissists would just be all about themselves all the time but a lot of that narcissistic behavior comes from the self-loathing it's a compensation for it and you sort of feel that in these cleons yeah and there's two like spectrums that narcissism like uh expresses there's like the grandiose which is what you think of in terms of narcissism but then there's the wounded narcissist that is yeah Hmm. that's like crippling fear of being discovered for the shit person that they are sure you know yeah whereas the other one just knows they're better than everyone and doesn't even <laughs> you know doesn't even have to think about it you know yeah um they can yeah they're 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 terrible terrible and equally uh contradictory ways all right dimmerzel is clearly lying dusk's memories have been altered they all have right they're not the same as cleon the firsts i think that's that's fundamental to the later scenes mm-hmm. I don't believe that Demerzel's memory cannot be altered and even if I did I don't believe that she has to unfailingly tell them the truth about that memory and I don't know that there's any way to access it except through her lips yeah do they have the technology to read her drive because only we've never seen anyone repair her or work on her but herself right that's a good that's a good point so yeah. what she tries to use this as like an excuse oh there was two backups right there's the memories in uh-huh. the memoriam they're sealed and can't be touched and then there's my memory I don't right. trust your memory uh, that it right. can't be altered and even if I did I don't trust you to tell me the truth and I think Dusk is smart even though he's been a lazy person and I think he thinks that too which is another strong yeah. like he does whether why trust or not I don't think Dusk trusts her after this conversation yep uh, let's go back over to Markley bringing the memory recording to Sarath and they play it and they see Dimmerzel with half a head and they realize that the not head. only was she in the bedroom with him when she was attacked or he was attacked but she is a robot yeah I love uh, <laughs> I love I love the, the camera trick they played where they had the hand man like his face superimposed over Dimmerzel twice and they smash cut him half a head like <laughs> it know, is but... I mean can you imagine seeing that though uh huh when you didn't think that robots were a thing how can he like, how for, can a person like, operate like that this is I think as shocking as if they had seen Empire fucking a pig like this is like you get <laughs> sure. this like what I got from the the queen and Rue and the handman is just not just disbelief but disgust. Yeah, an art. They've got an artificial being. Uh, it's a betrayal, you know, right? But, I mean, the empire. But how could that. she? I touched her hand. It's as warm and as living as your. Like the yeah, the betrayal, the disgust. Like this is. Um, I always got the idea that like like in the Dune um universe that there is like a a social it's not just like a like a law that you shouldn't make robots uh, you shouldn't make uh, images that that uh, you shouldn't make images of man to think like men um mm. it's it's like um uh, abhorration yeah of this thing like it's a it's a traumatic almost genetic memory the way you're hardwired to fear snakes and spiders it's that mm. kind of thing. And here's Cleon sleep in, in his bed. Yeah. 
Yeah, she was with him in his chambers there. Um, and it brings me to the question, how did, or did he at all, how did they plan to keep this information from Sarath once they were married? Because presumably they would all age and Demerzel would not, and they would know that she's a robot. Right or that something. She has other arrangements. Could you like you know the 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 same but that yeah she has other arrangements. But also, would you have that same arrangement once the genetic dynasty ended? You know. Sure, that's an open question. I mean, how much? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I wonder if what what day's solution to that was going to be just not just like or bring her in like we have the robot. You know, like or I think there's also an element of day just being like I don't care. Like she's a young girl. I'm just doing this for power, and yeah. once we're married, I can just safely I can have her killed. I rule her I, anyway. Know, once, once, yeah, yeah once I have a child with her, yeah. Once, once I have a child with her and I have an heir, then yeah, yeah. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. He probably didn't care. <laughs> uh, then we go over to dusk and dawn visiting Cleon the first, and they ask his memory projection if he intended for Day to be able to alter their memories and consolidate power the way he is, and he tells them basically to fall in line with day and that everything has been accounted for this is wild man so there's there was a little bit of frustration here that i felt like the 16th and 18th exponents buried the lead a little bit in what with way? like why can why can day change our memories i mean why not lead with days trying to end our dynasty <laughs> yeah, Day's trying to get married and have a kid and stop like, the Cleonic. You know dynasty. how this whole dynasty and this whole shit that we just started about brothers, sons, uh, selves, and we're coming together. He's wanting to end all that. And to uh-huh. that purpose, he's taking our memories and doing shit with them. Uh-huh. Like, would Cleon still be like, it's all part of the plan, boys? Because it literally might be. It might be. It yeah, literally there's... might be. There was massive suspicions when we saw that scene of Cleon uh, supervising the space elevator and entrusting everything to Demerza. There was massive implications that there is a grander plot at play here. And then the next so, like, scene is going to heap on more suspicions, right? Why does he have all this memory that these clones don't? Yeah, but I, I, I kind of like I, I was struggling like, do does this bother me? Because it just seems like a stupid use of or or even if it's not like then put your hands back on and get it back out of here. Like, hey, wait sure. a minute. You, you, yeah. you can't you can't. Hey, we weren't done. This. <laughs> yeah, we weren't fucking done. We didn't dismiss you. Um, uh-huh. You work for us now. <laughs> but yeah, that Cleon, like he does feel like he has supremacy over them. Like yeah, I mean he's the he's the patriarch, right, of the whole thing. Um, but I think he might also literally be right. Like it could, I think it could be the the, the day, the dusk and dawn's job to just get on fucking board. Yeah, and if you so. don't like it, you can change it when you're day. And if you don't like it, you're but gonna what be if dead you're not in ten gonna years. Be day. Right, right. That's like what I'm saying, it, getting to bury the lead, yeah, but also yeah. like they 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 put enough petulant children into the way even dusk i was amazed at how well he was able to portray like whiny teenager when he's like uh you know he's taking to like the, the line reading of he's taking too much power mm-hmm. mommy like it's like your dad you can almost hear that added to it um definitely and it's in contrast to the stuff he's saying as they sort of start start to pray to this Cleon the first right he's like oh I never was humble enough to admit that I needed to talk to him but I am now 
Yeah. And so so he's grown so much, right? And then he's all whiny teen about the power consolidation. I mean, I, I feel like there's two other things that get told Cleon to make him piss blood. Like, number one, your <laughs> space elevator got blown up, bro. Yeah, uh, number two, genetic like drift. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also, to it's the in right, you, we're too. We're leading to the left. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even even your DNA ain't pure anymore. Right. Man. You're not even the same. But, like, also, that goes back to my core question of what is the nature of this consciousness of Cleon? Mm-hmm. Um, is it, like, a hairy type thing, really? Is it, like, uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. It feels um, like an AI construct from the memories of Cleon the first. So is he more Cleon than the actual first Cleon <laughs> at this point? Because he's, he's uh, mm. AI can't be corrupted genetically, so... Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, AI also has no physicality, so I guess... Yeah. I don't know how I would compare the two. They're apples and oranges. And but, also, I just love... I, I love the ritual... Like they're yeah. putting their hand. Festa is also funny as fuck. They like starting to get cold feet. Um, it is a worry, right? Like, what if my palm print isn't identical and he yeah, sees like, that and he's wrathful and like, yeah, you're like a vengeful god, like Harry on Terminus. That this guy could fucking end us if he even sniffs oh, that we got drift. That's that's why they don't mention the genetic drift because he might smite oh. them right like oh okay they're, well, they're that makes sense that yeah. i don't know why oh maybe or maybe they are afraid of this guy like i can't they seem scared of him yeah we have to have a very but, but but i wish they had that conversation where like days like we or dusk yeah like dawn's like we need to be like no we have to be very careful if we reveal too much about what's going on he'll kill us all or you know something like that because like there there was this very like yeah vengeful god that you're summoning you're going you're going to the the holiest of holies you're opening up the ark and you better hope mm-hmm. that angel of death likes how the cut of your jib or you're yeah, gonna be you're not Nazi gonna go question melting god. face yeah you're not gonna question god about deuteronomy 12 7 right like right but yeah. but here it, it conflicts with you know what you said uh-huh. later and i don't know god uh-huh. yeah yeah so that that makes quite a bit of sense i guess and there is like that's like you know he's like uh trying to talk about temperaments he's like i'm well aware of but it, there is a little bit of like know your role like you're talking mm-hmm. you, you're not I'm the only one that can judge because I'm the only one that's been this far in the path. You still have another 15 years to go. You just started, you fucking pup. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. But also, if this is the plan, it's a crazy fucking plan. Yeah, there's the Harry Seldon of it all too, right? Like the, the mentalics of it all. So How much easy... does he know? Yes. How much of this yep. is he accounted for? He says it's all accounted for. Do I believe him? Yeah. Kind of. And I... I I really like when he dismisses them with the dream lives on and you like the way day and or dusk and dawn are both kind of like days like because it kept alive in you that just this like doubt and uncertainty and kind of I mean it's the most the fart look on their face <laughs> super dissatisfying conversation yeah I yeah. don't see it. It, it, it sounded like two kids like when you your mom says like do we you know like what's the rule we don't run in the house that was like the way yep. it like the the ritual and the pomp and the circumstances all drained and it's just annoyance and disappointment yep uh well let's go over to the next scene which i really love dusk and dawn go to the memoriam and ask for the metadata on their memory files and the files of all previous cleons while they wait, Dusk considers his legacy, thinking he should have seen this all coming, done something to prevent it. And when they get the memories, they realize that Cleon the first memory was much larger than any of the clones' memory. 
Dusk says they won't do anything about it until they can find some leverage. And this is where I fell in love with the episode because that's right. the smartest fucking thing I've heard a person, a schemer say on television <laughs> in a long time. Yeah, the, like we have information, the, but we need a reason to deploy it. Because that was like Rebecca Ferguson's, like the frustration of her plot in Silo. She's the opposite. Yeah, I got zero leverage, but I'm going to keep pushing and keep finding and make sure everyone knows I'm doing it and create this base. So, but like D- Dusk is like it, like there's no point in digging deeper into this and drawing more attention to ourselves until we can def- protect ourselves from the ramifications. Yeah, and like getting that first is like such a fucking based and solid schemer strategy i can yeah it uh, is great it's great and from a plot perspective this raises huge questions what was the extra load of memory that the original cleon had uh is it just a life well lived or is it or just the plan yeah. is uh, yeah and, and how diminished have they been all along you know if you erase two-thirds of somebody's memory yeah how well can they function as leaders uh yeah, it's super interesting. It's like one of those things where, like, you know, when you look back in your life, it's like, man, I wish I could have done things different. If I had done this in school and I would have gotten further ahead and then I would have done. But you would be a different person, maybe mm-hmm. a lesser person, maybe some of those failures, some of those dead ends or the, you know, undoubtedly made you the person you are. But like if you just go back and streamline all that, so you just get to the ultimate state that you are. I So it's like the thing is like did the data get deleted or are they just lesser people because of the right. shape that they're pounded in? Yeah. Because they're all trying to be one person where he, he could be if you know, a full person. I don't know. They're, they're all trying I to be a had, day. They're trying to be the third of their lives. I also thought like the other thing is when I was watching dusk and day or dawn go through this is like, they're looking for averages when it's like, Oh, okay. 81, 82, 87, 87. If you're trying to decide if day deleted a uh, 15 minutes out of your life, you'd never know. Yeah. Yeah. That's like saying, "Oh, my bank account's within $5 of being balanced when you suspect someone might have stolen a penny." Like that tells you nothing. Yep. I I I think it's interesting that this goes all the way back to the first clone. Um yeah. it implies Demerzel's you know, Dimmerzel's uh, ac- being accomplice to this. You know, she has known all along that these are diminished versions of Cleon the First, mm-hmm. at least in a in a memory aspect, if not in a physical aspect. Mm-hmm. And she has never told a single one of them that that we've seen. This That's is not part, part of the plan. Yeah, this is part of Dave's uh, the, the the original Cleon's plan, rather. Yeah. No, uh, it's yeah. And that, that's been implied from almost the beginning. Yeah. The other thing I think is super interesting is the discussion of the treasonous or, or the betrayer, uh, the, the traitor emperor, right? Um, mm-hmm. They're talking about how he was put to death for some traitorous act that we don't wait, get wait, information wait, wait, on, wait. I don't think. I thought that emperor was killed by a traitor. No, I think he was, was put to death. His name how was the like the traitor. How can the fucking empire be? That's doesn't make any sense well i mean what happens what happens to political leaders when there's a coup you know oh so they're made betrayer afterwards yeah i mean the, yeah the, i'm not the 100% winners right sure history, yeah god damn it, we're in the middle of podcast and stuff i'm not 100 percent sure i agree with your interpretation but well let's, let's go, go with it, it. An if, yeah. because i think it's interesting um if this is the case 
they show this they they show dusk looking at this traitor at the end of this scene as well contemplating it and it's kind of interesting to me that you have this idea of we don't have complete memories and we have to take actions based on the memories we do have and the suspicions and the feelings we have are those traitorous actions do i can i know if i'm going to be a traitor to cleon the first if i don't know what his Mm. plan was Right? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be branded a traitor? Is that going to be the mark that I leave? Because Dusk is thinking about that. Like, I n- never left a mark, you know? I was happy to just paint and let Dimmerzel do it all. What if my mark is traitor because of what I'm about yeah. to do? Yeah. It, it's it's an open know. question as to whether he's trying to preserve the Empire because Day is destroying it, or his actions are going to result in its destruction because Cleon the First had a plan. Yeah. <laughs> was Cleon the first plan to let let eighteen of them fuck it up so bad that like people would be asking to decant him back from? We want the first back. <laughs> uh huh. It took you a couple centuries, boys, but uh... <laughs> it was all just a C. I'm the best leader. <laughs> I don't know, man. This stuff is super interesting, though. It's some of the best stuff they've come up with yet. Uh, it's a it's on the level of the very concept of the clone dynasty in and of yeah. itself. Nah, just the way that they can again, you know, we're halfway through the the second season, and that the uh, you know we still get wrinkles from the dynasty. That's like just so good, and you wonder how much of this was planned. Maybe this is a discussion to have with Goyer when he comes on. Is how much of this was planned from the jump, and how much of this is you know writing to the strengths of season yeah, do you one? Discover, you know, because uh-huh. you, you discover in the writing, like oh, we can you know do this and lean into it and strip mining of the past like we call it yeah yeah if you're a fan of your own show sometimes you can do things that make it look like you meant it all along just because you pay attention uh-huh. <laughs> you pay attention to the own thing that's happening so let's go to the final series of scenes here um salvor gale and harry wake to find themselves prisoners in a prison with no guards and they follow some whispers up to a mountain cave temple where they meet a young spiritual leader named Telembond. Turns out to actually be the mental projection of the real Telembond, a much older woman. She explains that she's been calling mentalics or sighted, as she calls them, to this place, such as Salvor and Gale. Uh, Harry realizes that it was Telem as Raish in his mind, and she can't read his mind very well, but she knows that he has a plan and that the sighted are part of it. And she tells them they'll discuss it tomorrow, dismisses them. And when they leave, Tellum uh, gets a drawing of the Prime Radiant from one of her mentalics, her sighted, uh, and says, I'm going to find it. I'm going to break it. There will be no second foundation. And then the episode ends. Big reveal. Moved. Um, I, I like how like Harry just instantly calls bullshit on this. Yep. Um, you got and no then shadow. the other... The- the way that she kind of like gives him a backhanded compliment like oh you mm-hmm. would be the one since you're so limited your other senses the mentally incomplete compensate with their other senses boy that's offensive huh but it's true but it's also like if you if we if, if next tomorrow like in the marvel comics homo superior mutants you can read your mind are walking among mm-hmm. us we would all of us uh, normally able bod quote unquote able-bodied uh, uh, neurotypical people would be forced to confront the fact that we are now disabled we have a disability we can't read uh, minds sh- sure I mean the facts on the ground might be that 
it's still she's trying to offend him she does not like this guy she hates this guy as, as a matter of fact uh, is she trying to offend him i actually i thought that she was being very delicate when she says because she's this really is almost because like, like uh, let's say i'm in an elevator with a blind person and i i squeeze out a little bit of a fart that blind person goes did you fart and i'd be like the 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 visually incomplete the <laughs> mentally incomplete compensate with their but, other senses of course you would smell that that's offensive as, as fuck society's baseline does treat disabled people that way like you're oh, either i'm not saying it's not fantasizing i'm them. saying it's not it, it's not right what and, I'm saying, and that would be offensive to that person and i should know it agreed but what i'm saying is like is telembaum intentionally being offensive or is she because i thought when she says what does she call him the mentally incomplete yeah um that is a pretty political way to say like someone because that's not even precluding that you might make that you might complete you know you might be brought to completion you're not you're not saying you're missing your value just not you're not quite done getting you're not you're not quite there yet <laughs> okay um i thought it's a delicate way it, it is more delicate way than worse. saying yeah some, but also like it's also like think you know like if you're ever dealing with people who you know have differences from you like it's you know think about what you say and like you know are Absolutely. you being because because it does feel like there's just two ways that like uh people with disabilities are treated you're you're like patronized and infantilized or like you're daredeviled like oh you're not this oh you got totally. you're you're you know like your your shit's all compensated for like and it's all kind you're blind of, of course like, you can fight like a banshee yeah 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 <laughs> or your other skills we tell ourselves that your other skills uh grow uh -huh. too and there's a element of truth and all that stuff but also if you're not careful you can be pretty fucking offensive so yeah. i'm not sure if she intended I, why let me ask you this why would she intend it to offend him I, I think she just doesn't like him because she knows he's creating the second foundation and something about that does not is not compatible with her worldview mm. I mean that's evident she's at the end, right? Him. She's trying the other to thing is like, I don't think she's threatened by him now. I think that she yeah. thinks her her and her students can just unmake this guy. Like, you know, yeah. like the Unthink the, their minds. What the fuck? Low rod. Yeah. Unthink yeah. their minds that it's collapsed. Like there's not these people are helpless before them. Totally. But if in a couple of years from now, with Gale and Salvor uh gaining abilities maybe with harry being a little bit more persuasive like she sees this as being taken may i don't know i am not exactly sure what she's seen um you know and like how much wiggle room is in the mental murk like when he mm -hmm. asked her what did you see and she says i saw enough I thought that was yeah. when, when I first was watching this. I'm like, oh, she sees enough to know that Harry is a sincere person who believes in cyclic history and he's trying to save the world. And like, we need to work out the particulars. But I'm, I, I've seen enough. I'm on board. But clearly, it's the other thing. She's horrified by what she sees. So if she could provoke uh -huh. him into doing something stupid and just unmake him, then, you know. Yeah, she might also be talking about the prime radiant there. Like, I've seen enough to know that it exists, and now I can go hunt it down. Um, there's a lot of enoughs a lot of things enough could mean there uh, but yeah I, I'm with you she she is scared by whatever future Harry has in store whatever his plan is it's not something she wants obviously I thought it's funny because like there's a couple points where Jared Harris is like trying to project mental murk 
or at least the like you know he's doing uh-huh. he's like twitching his eyebrows and kind of frowning like like he's like struggling i got the clear idea that he's struggling with this tenem woman that like you know like he's putting up a mental effort to try and she even mm-hmm. admit, admits as much all three of them trying desperately not to think about the prime radiant yeah there's and... just no chance that works though right it does seem like it's because like all they've got is a picture i don't think they know what that is like they it, it's it's a pride and they don't know the location either gail was able to shield herself that much so it's like Apparently. i was actually impressed with how well all three of them especially harry held out mm-hmm. I, it, uh, it sets up an interesting i guess clash here between harry and tell because i feel like the thing that they are both working for is the trust and uh i guess effort of gale and salvor they're both important to their to each of their missions right um because harry wants to create the second foundation and have his plan for psychohistory go off and he needs gale for that apparently um tell him wants to i guess free these sighted from the the shackles of living in the world that the non-sighted have set up and so yeah. they're both vying for their souls in a way. And I think that's interesting. Because one has the power of seeing the future through, you know, the sight. And the other has the power of seeing the future through psychohistory. One is much more intimate. One is much more concerned with the person. And one is much more concerned with people. But one moment more limited. Because, like, you know, I have no idea how this yeah. works. But, like... It could be that the mentalics see the future, but it's only one. It's like where it's like they are seeing the aggregate, like what the prime radiant would say is the thing that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas Harry can use the prime with the prime radiant and psycho history can like shift and move variables and see where history could go. Like uh, all the men, all I'm he saying, understands this is not, the mathematics. This is head can yeah, like all they can see, all the mentalics can see is where we're going. He can see where we take different forks in a road to arrive at different destinations. True. So he can manipulate so it, it be, much easier. Because if, if all she's seeing is what's Gale seeing, which is the mule coming yeah. and curb stomping the whole galaxy, and this is like vaguely speaking Harry's fault, that would be something bad. But if Harry can see the plan past that and also like we're not even going to get to the mule because uh, we're going to take a, a turn here and a turn there and a turn... You know, and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, also keep Gale, because that's something we also haven't talked about. The fact that Gale is increasingly obsessed with the idea of saving Salvor and Harry's trying to chide her. Like, you can't worry about individuals. That's not how any of this works, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm making tiny changes to galaxy wide sweeps. You're trying to make huge changes over short times to affect individuals. This is like the opposite of psycho history. It's just psycho. Um, <laughs> And, and I will say there's a big assumption here that I'm making, which is that the mentalics are very similar in their abilities to Gale and Salvor, which might not be true at all. It might be that Gale and Salvor have a special, you know, quantum entanglement type relationship that lets them sure. see the future effectively. Whereas the mentalics yeah. might not be able to see the future, but can read people's minds and pull things out of that. Yeah, I agree. I don't really know. And so if they can see into Harry's mind, they can see the future that he knows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't be able to see it without his his brain. I don't know if you can say anything about that because you know spoilers and whatnot. But well, that's the thing is like I don't even know because I was trying to think of like God, if I was seeing all this for the first time with nothing prior, is what would I be wondering? And I think it's 
the thing I would be the thing that I think is would be would be interesting is the fact that these the the main antagonist is a psychic but he's still referring to other psychics as gales so does that imply that there's going to be a civil war like are are there's going to be two factions of psychics one led by the mule one led by gale uh, and is this the beginning of the fraction? Because uh, right Gale's now, possessive. all the psychics, okay. all the known yeah. psychics in the galaxy are all holding hands and singing Kumbaya in white robes yes. in this grandiose temple. But in the future, they're going to go to war against each other. So, like, is this, is is are we seeing, is, is this the fracture? Is this the, yeah, uh, did that have to happen? And that's, like, the biggest open question, I think, is, can you actually change the future? I, I th- Harry definitely believes you can, right? Because he yeah. plans to guide it. He plans to push the future in directions. Um, and he's also telling Gale that look, Salvor's fate is not set in stone necessarily. So, but but how much do I trust Harry in that? You know, I got to say this show is just really crushing the narrative weight that all these storylines are telling. Cause I think next last year, it's like, I was never one that was like really extreme with this, but there, you know, it's, it was, it was a, a common saying that the empire stuff is really interesting. The terminus stuff is not very interesting. Mm-hmm. And here it's like, not only did I find everything desperately interesting, <laughs> yeah. but also I'm like, God, and what is going on with Hober and constant and Polly? <laughs> uh-huh. Like there's people that weren't on the dime that's like there's nothing that I'm not interested in right now. And also Bell Rios, what's going on with Bell and Glaywin? Like yeah. I Yeah, they have a embarrassment of riches of interesting plot and character this season. Yeah, there are like four other missions going on that we desperately want to know the conclusions of and yeah. I'm with you, yeah. man. This I think they've they've really upped their game this season for sure. I do. That's and that's why it's like I as I, I was surprised when Goyer said that four was his least favorite, and it might have been behind because it, se- it seemed that there was some like real life difficulties in filming that episode that might have colored his expectation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because that's the episode that like convinced me that yes, Foundation is not just going to be, uh, you know, a, a, sh- a high concept show with a lot of potential. That's you know, eh, it's always going to have a. Ni- like, no, this is a very confident sophomore season that is addressing some of the weaknesses of its previous and gave me more confidence that, like, maybe they're, you know, that, 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 that this is, like, going to not just be what it is, which I was happy with, but going to continue to improve and continue to tighten. And, yeah, halfway through the second season, I am super excited for the future Foundation. Oh, me too. And they're still nailing the comedy. There's a line in here where Telem is talking about... Uh her struggles growing up you know and how she was worshipped as a child because she had these abilities and she says do not worship children it is not good for them no, <laughs> I laughed I out loud at that one I can't imagine yeah <laughs> that that and the, uh, the, the, the <laughs> dusk slapping Do- uh, Don's hand to the to the Klingon first chamber is yep. pretty pretty funny pretty funny and half a head yeah all that stuff is very good half a head but uh, I don't know how much more you have to say about this. I think, I think I'm good. No, it's so wild. Like I've, it's it's been a while since it shows judo flop uh, flopping that hard. Where like I was so sold on this girl. Like like oh yeah, Harry's finally. It's been taking a while, but now all the pieces are together. Can't wait. And she just like not nope, fuck that. I'm gonna break it. Like yeah. what? 
Rachel House, you're supposed to be the friendly grandma, not the terrifying psychic destroyer grandma. <laughs> Do you think this stuff is a result of Harry still being in the picture? Because it was supposed to be Raish going off to form this second foundation, right? And Gail was supposed was to be it? there at Terminus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, according to Harry. Yeah, I know. Uh, no, no. And, and it, that all changed with Raish's decision to send Gail through uh, the, mm-hmm. the cryosleep. Mm-hmm. Is do you think that these mentalics would be on board with crushing the second foundation if not for Harry's involvement? I I don't know because like is a big part of why they want to crush is because Tannenbaum is uh, Tannenbaum. Oh, Tannenbaum. Oh, how lovely are thy mentalics. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know because like before Harry got like if if what if she could have seen his mind like water, would she have this reaction? Is she fundamentally mm-hmm. opposed with working with incomplete people to save the galaxy for some reason? Um, or is it just she's afraid of Harry? Because there's almost everyone is not Harry this episode that had dealings with Harry mm-hmm. said scary things about Harry. And like if that race is her interrogating Harry, those are some damning things that he said, you know, that, you know, you let yeah. her. And then there's also like we didn't talk about this scene a lot, too, where Harry realizes that Salvor's his granddaughter. Uh-huh. And she's like, would you have done things differently if you'd known? He goes, I'd like to think I would. But that's not the same as saying I would have. No, definitely not. That's a person willing to sacrifice his children, grandchildren for a larger goal. And maybe that just frightens her, you know, because maybe you'll sacrifice us. Maybe he will sacrifice these mentalics to get what he wants. Maybe he'll sacrifice himself again. I I can't help but I have this nagging feeling that part of this is still Harry's plan. Part of the ultimate plan to improve humanity to to create a civilization that is better mm-hmm. might be to get these mentalics to kill him in his dream of the second foundation and take that over true because they are the evolved form you know who who knows he's got plans that involved his death in the first place or that at least could be unaudible as his death right yeah so i don't think he's above dying He's not above crushing his own foundation in order to see the success of his plan through. No, sir. I don't know. All super interesting, but that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to send us feedback, and again, we're hoping to set up a conversation with Goyer in the next week or two. Um, so definitely send those questions in if you want to pass it on to him. I can't promise to get to everything because I got some questions I want to ask. I know Jim does too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we're going to be certain through good ones. Uh, send that to foundation at baldmove.com. And if you are sending something for Goyer's consideration, make sure you put that in the subject line because like, I'm obviously getting these from many episodes and I'm going to just be doing a Google search on my inbox to find everything that says Goyer so make sure it says the word Goyer in the subject line if you want me to pass if you want a chance for me to pass that on uh, foundation at baldmove.com for all feedback regarding this show you're listening to foundation and podcast we'll be right back And we're back. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, let's start our feedback with 
WYND said the old guy in Sawina didn't just record the foundation show, but he also picked up the Aura bracelet the constant dropped. I expect that the resurface later and maybe be rendered useless by Empire. Could it also be a clue as to who tampered with Day's Aura? Maybe not, or maybe it's a conspiracy. Mm. Um Yeah, no, I do you think that they are going to be able to make it useless? Do you think the Empire can remote, or do you think the Empire could find a t- technology? Because, like, my, the way I think they're telling the story is that the Empire is being outclassed by the Foundation. That the yeah. Foundation's current jump drives and bracelets are actually better than the Empire's. So, like, I don't know that they would have, like, a backdoor to hack them or some kind of way to easily bypass it. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I... Hmm. And the assassins attacking day and getting through that doesn't strike me as a foundation thing, right? It strikes me as a Sarah thing. Um, mm. And I don't think I don't think Sarah doesn't league with the foundation, so it's probably not that they can just. This probably doesn't have much to do with foundation, is my yeah. guess. But who knows? It could be a conspiracy. So you guys made a brief remark about the risk of execution when Paula and Constant go to Trantor. You both seem to think it makes sense, quote-unquote, that if anyone is executed, it would be Polly, and a Constant would probably escape as she seems to have the longer legs in the show in terms of, like, character, not in terms of, like, actual <laughs> leg length. Although that helps. Uh, they're, they're wearing robes. It's honestly tough to say who's got the longer legs. Um, that definitely would be the traditional expected outcome that we've seen so often in dramas. As much as I hope that there is a future to your relationship with Hodor, Hodor, Hober, thank you. Yeah. Uh, to me, it'd be a much better story if Constant were the one that executed, if it is only to be one of them. That leaves Polly with all kinds of complicated survivor feelings, which would translate to motives, especially uh, because Polly threw quite a cynical last glance at Harry. Motive against commercialized religion, motive against empire, motive against foundation, etc. Did he? Did you see? think that Polly was, that was a cynical glance? No, that was that was like drinking it in one last time. That's what I thought. This was a last opportunity. This was a wild take, but like I'm I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just like yeah, I completely got the Mm -hmm. wrong. I got I got the different uh, the different idea that he was like, fuck yeah, I was the first to see him (laughs) or I was the last alive, Uh and now I've got yeah, it was a satisfied look. Um, but anyway, um. So he's got a motive against commercial religion, motive against empire, motive against foundation, etc. It would also, in my imagination, deeply affect Hober, leading to a strange bedfellows type alliance with Polly out of guilt, guilt, grief, and their shared motives. Maybe that's relationship, albeit nipped in the bud, that affected everything going forward that Gail was talking about. What do you think? Well, I don't I mean, disagree with you. It would be a, like a more bold and interesting decision, perhaps, from a narrative perspective. Um I don't know. I don't know. We'll see if that's the story they want to tell. And the thing is, it's like I don't even like Constant better. I really like Polly too. I think he's a cool character. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I like them both. It's just that he doesn't have like I was just looking at the relationship they have with what seems like Hober's supposed to be much more of a main character. So uh-huh. but uh I could see a Hober Polly roadshow going to be that'd be pretty entertaining. Yeah, that too, for sure. Let's move into Dominic, who says, I'm getting massive red wedding vibes, or should I say blue wedding? When I watch the scenes of Empire and the Queen of Dominion, especially the ones last week, and how much it appears that Dominion seems to know about Empire, 
I can't help but feel the wedding is a ruse to eliminate the Dominion's literal head to put the Empire back on, on top. And I cannot help but feel like Brother Day and Dimmerzel are working together on it without the knowledge of Dusk and Dawn. Uh, hmm. Clearly, they have a long-term plan that doesn't involve Dusk and Dawn. On the face of it, it's the ending of the genetic dynasty. You're what saying do you... there's more to it. Um, yeah. Like, uh, uh, so I think it is interesting that the idea of tampering with their memory has been placed in the show. Um, and the day took the authority of them away to seemingly even see their own memories, um, but definitely to alter them. It, it feels to me like there is some subterfuge here, but day is playing it really, really well. If that's the case, even in seemingly private moments between him and Dimmerzel, I, I don't get the impression necessarily that there's a plot behind the scenes to decapitate Dominion, but I mean, they, they did, they thought they effectively decapitated Dominion, right? By killing, uh, Sarah's family. They thought, Oh, this little girl is yeah, going to be able to pliable. Yeah. But like, I guess yeah. the, the red wedding, which is a game of Thrones reference. You're talking about someone who is suing for peace. Um, sure. And, and making a marriage a alliance and they get betrayed. Um, are we so sure it's, it'd be day doing the betraying? It wouldn't be queen Sarah. Well, the, the reason Dominion? I, I, the reason I'm thinking, yeah, I'm pretty sure about that is because that's already out in the open, right? We know Sarah is trying to betray day. What is be- Yeah. So what does betrayal look like? Cause is it look she like doesn't she, marry she mentioned him. this episode that if I, you know, like she's of the belief that if she doesn't agree to marry day, that she'll be executed. That's something we found out. Sure. You know, she hurls that as an accusation against day day does not deny it. And I think that seems right. Like if she spurns him, there's no way empire can let her go. Unless he's otherwise occupied or doesn't have the capacity take her out and it so could maybe be there's that, some uh, larger plan there do you think the cloud dominions convinced that they have the like if, if everything that they're right their suspicions about empire and it's uh stretch thinness and it's decrepitude do you think that they think boy it's complicated do you think that they <laughs> think they have the ability to stand toe-to-toe against empire like to defy them the dominion does um yeah like has, has she, empire she slipped might be getting a big head about it yeah well, or has the Empire really fallen a lot further than even they know? Like, you don't have the power to go toe-to-toe with the Cloud Dominion. Right, they introduced that concept with Bell um, not too long ago, where his crew would still be loyal to him. Um, yeah. You could wonder about the same about the, the Empire. Is the Empire actually loyal to the Cleons because they believe in it the way that bell believes in it or are they loyal because they don't have a choice and if they were presented with an alternative perhaps dominion that they might turn traitor on empire well there's also and she's already that, sowing those seeds in the background that that they've sent bell rios out there to investigate the foundation but we know like if 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 the, unless the current director of the foundation is just delusional about the foundation's capabilities. We have at least one person on uh, Terminus that thinks they could at least stand toe to toe, hold out against the empire. And the empire doesn't know Uh that factions out there. So it's like, but to me, it's like, 
why would Queen Sarath put her hands into potentially her mortal enemy if she thinks that if she says no, she's never going to be able to allow to leave? Like, this is a suicide. Like, it's like you're either going to be co-opted by the system that destroyed your your family, get lucky, I guess, and this guy's innocent, and then, like, I guess you got to get in bed with him because else he's going to kill you, or you die. There's not a lot of, like... Well, like, what's her plan if she finds out that he is a murderer? Like... Well, if it's a situation where she's going into this knowing that she'll be executed if her plan doesn't work, but she has a plan to... Uh, let's say neuter the power of empire before he it's... can kill her then it then it won't it'll be moot right like that there's not a threat anymore if she can take Do that threat off the plan table plan works on soft or hard power like does she have a fleet that right. could rival uh, uh empire or is she going to fuck their heads so much that she's going to turn the empire against itself and See, that's... that's what i'm wondering because she's really driving those wedges that's in right between day and having... dusk and without even having a plausible f- force threat as well. Like, well, it's like there's no plan also. B. Yeah. Well, then, then that's be... like, they, you're playing house money. It's like, well, you know, if, if this plan works, then we won't have to use our fleets or whatever. And if it doesn't work, then we've all, well, our fleets will be squaring off against a greatly weakened and divided empire. Exactly, yeah. It yeah. could be that. I don't know. They haven't really, like, shown us anything that quite indicates that yet. But they've they've introduced those concepts. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Scott says my personal pet motivation for Dimmerzel is based on her inability to allow human humanity to be injured through inaction, which, as I assume, is her primary directive. Uh, and this is, you know, we've talked about this. This is a derived law from the other three laws of robotics uh, that you can't injure a human being or through inaction allow it to be injured that uh, you have to obey the orders given to you by a human except as if it would violate that first one and also nothing else you got to protect yourself as long as you're not disobeying humans or or, or hurting them mm-hmm. and then the outgrowth of this is what's called the zeroth law which is you also have to do the same towards humanity as a as a as a whole um he she says or i he scott says rather i believe she truly supported empire and helped it grow then flourish when is the best path forward to humanity but now harry comes along with irrefutable math showing the empire is no longer the best mm. path forward for humanity so she is compelled to oppose empire and find the best path forward by supporting harry's uh psycho history additionally dimmerzel may have hated empire even while supporting it so she may feel some robot catharsis at getting revenge for the robot wars and taking empire down her programming and her wants may be in full alignment now that's bad news for the empire Mm -hmm. uh what do you think about this yeah that's that's possible um i want to know more about dimmerzel uh specifically about her relationship with Cleon and even well before that uh, you know where where did she start her journey and and that will inform what journey she's currently on I think because who knows I mean Cleon the first might have employed her because she doesn't follow the laws of robotics and she can be loyal to empire not humanity right like it's it's uncertain I think as to whether these laws apply as to whether these laws are in play at all and whether they apply to humanity or just to the Cleons. And, yeah, and the there's Empire. some 
There's a couple things from based on what I, I heard uh, Goyer uh, talk about last year about what they did and didn't have rights to tell stories on that I assumed mm-hmm. that the laws of robotics were going to be something they always could like never really touch with directly. But he so David Goyer did a uh, ask me anything on r slash television on Reddit last week. Did you see uh, that? Uh-uh. He had some fascinating things that kind of blew me away, and I'm I'm putting this link in our uh, in our production chat, uh, so our producer hopefully can uh, throw that into the show notes. And uh, there's a couple things to point out that number one that um, that they're definitely uh, someone asked us, will we do anything more with tying Dimmerzel into the iRobot laws? So this is you know you've got a couple of series that that Asimov wrote. The big ones are like Foundation and Robot, and they only have the Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goyer says for uh, for sure keep watching this season we've even discussed doing a spinoff mini series that specifically dives into our version of the robot wars no idea if we'll get there or if Apple the audience will have appetite for it depends on the season 2 reception and beyond he also so implying that like they've got like they've loosened up and maybe can deal with these robotic laws in a more direct way and the other hmm. bombshell he dropped I'm going to mention it here because it's a bit of a spoiler um he got like an explicit permission from the president of Fox Studios, who I guess owns the rope the I, the robot side of the franchise, to name to name characters by name because that's one of the things that Asimov did late in his life. Is he's like I've got all these series of trilogies and they're not really connected, but for my own amusement, I'm gonna try to like weave some stories that connect all of this Foundation and Earth and robot series all together. Um and the Empire series, all that stuff together. Um, and I, I guess from what I'm hearing is that Goyer's got a little bit of a green light to make some of these connections that he was going to have to make implicit, explicit, which I think is pretty exciting. Hmm. I wonder if Fox, Disney, whatever, has something in the works. Because that to me sounds like, huh, hell, if they want to market for us, yeah do it yeah him like de- talking about a robot war spinoff series i thought that was interesting that he's already thinking about kind of like what's next um yeah yeah like i i would have i would have like last week dismissed this like well there's just no way they're going to be able to do that much interesting stuff with the robotic laws but apparently no they're going to lean this lean into this more and he also okay. teased that season or the episode nine this season is a big dimmerzel uh episode which nice. i think kind of follows the precedent they said wasn't nine the uh where she did the you know the the the, the empire did the walk i think the so. walk of faith yeah the spiral uh-huh it was so either maybe, eight or nine i can't remember maybe uh that'll be a thing in the penultimate episodes we get uh big dimmer big juicy dimmerzel stuff yeah uh, i hope so because i so do yeah. want to know more yeah she's she's fascinating uh, Michael says, hey, guys, really enjoyed your coverage foundation. I noticed in the past few pods, you've implied several times that Selden had himself killed on the show, the slow ship, because he was worried that he would be seen as a deity or a prophet if he remained alive. I think we're supposed to believe the opposite. Selden wasn't sure that he would still be alive for the exile of his followers, though he is happy to be alive as he admitted to Gale for a bit longer. He became concerned by the fact that people were starting to refer to him as Harry instead of Dr. Selden. It seemed to imply that the people on the ship were starting to see Harry as one of them and not something hmm. more. This is why Harry had Raish kill him in order to become the martyr, an eventual prophet deity the Foundation would need as it grew. I will say that as of this episode, Harry's ha- said so many things about 
his plan and race and how that like I don't even know what is the truth and what is real because like the latest revelation we got was that Harry did this because he knew that Raish wouldn't leave. He had to have a big reason for Raish to leave Gale and he needed and the, like, but it could be that like, it's partially all of the things together or yeah, it could be sure. a reason that we still haven't fully realized yet. So it's tough because he, you know, Carrie makes a lot of deceptive statements and like which one gives you an actual window into his inner thinkings and which one don't that's uh, that's a tough question yeah i i think you're right maybe you know in those moments i'm i'm just thinking about it from a different perspective but that feels right um feels more like what i was thinking when i was reading the book is you know this is a guy who's got it all under control and part of that is him establishing foundation as a religion at some point and he needs people to deify him. Mm-hmm. Although I would say, I don't, I don't know how how that translates to the show necessarily, and how long that would even be true. You know, do you want that to be true forever? Mm-hmm. And how do you how yeah. do you go back from that? You know, once once you once you Is become it- a god to people, how do you how do you pull that back, rein that in? Yeah, it's got to be subtle. These, these have to be all very subtle, subtle plays that he's making too. Because mm-hmm. you know, if he makes too big a play, it's going to have too big of an effect, and um, that's not the plan either. So, yeah. Uh, Everett says the book and the informant presents to Glaywin in this episode is a Hindu religious text, the Bhagavit. Uh, oh my gosh, the Bhagavit Gita. The literal happenings within this text are such that the prince named Arjuna is commanding an army of uh, Pandava against the Kauravas, who have wrongly taken control of the land uh, Hastinapura, which belongs to the... Oh, God. Wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Hopefully I'm I'm done with the the tough words. Can you, like, factionalize this? Can you just say, like, faction A, faction B? Because that'll... You already lost me on this. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the, the, so, so the moral quandary that results is that many of Arjuna's friends, he's the prince, and family members, including his older brother and grandfather, are on that opposing side. And Arjuna tells Krishna okay. that he will not fight. Krishna essentially freezes time and in the middle of the battlefield attempts to com- convince Arjuna that uh, fulfilling his selfless duty to his kingdom is the correct moral choice and that whoever makes up the opposing force doesn't matter. Story ends with Krishna taking on his most supreme form as Vishnu and telling Arjuna that holy love comes to those who selflessly devote themselves to the divine, and he then goes into battle. Depending on how deeply Mr. Goyer intends to root this reference, could we see Glewin having to make the difficult but morally correct choice to kill his seemingly corrupt husband? I recall, never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what is right, being something that we've already been told. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're current with the official podcast but uh, Jason Concepcion asked Goyer a very similar question about like you know this this looks like it's going to a direction where it's going to directly oppose uh, Glewin and uh, Bel Rios and yeah. Goyer says well those are definitely thoughts we're intending you to have which doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's true but it's it's like you, you know essentially saying you're not wrong Um, I don't know like 
do you uh, do, I, I don't remember enough because I this this Bell Rios I think is an add-on or a short story or something it wasn't in the main trilogy that I remember uh, spending a lot of time with when I was a kid um, so I don't I don't know what the answer is and I, I, I certainly think that like you know it's unlikely he had a husband that was his like second in command all that kind of stuff would you rather see huh. Bell Rios and Glaywin work uh, f- uh, to 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 get an understanding and be united in their opposition to the Empire, or would you think it's more interesting to see kind of Bell lose his way a bit, like Glaywin is o- afraid of, and have to check him physically? Uh, I, I I guess probably the latter. Um, there, I, I think there's more drama in that. Not a romantic, eh? I guess not. I, I'm just thinking about the guy who. Lover. I'm thinking about the guy who gave Glaywin the book, right? This this spy or whatever on. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Savannah? Is that where they were? Mm-hmm. Um, why did he give him this book? Was that was that just you know he happened to be the one he picked up and he saw that he liked books and just you know final parting gift? I don't need it anymore. Yeah, or is thing. that like, I... more intentional? Was that something where he has lost the faith after 40 years of trying to communicate with Empire and them ignoring him? He's lost the faith and he's trying to he's trying to make a point with this book. I feel like the simpler answer is just the former that like it's not only he's just you know getting rid of stuff at the last minute he knows he's going to die one way or another like at that point it's when definitely he's the simple way yeah. he's already smoked the needle leaf and he's going to die mm-hmm. so it's like well your soldiers here's some soldier books these are like <laughs> precious things uh-huh. that no one i know you'll appreciate these take them i don't sure, know if it sure. needs to be i mean obviously there can be a larger storytelling component to that but like i, I don't know if he would have to intend that i don't know if it'd make a difference if he'd be like i see you guys and you're going to have some struggles in the future, and this is a text that will help you with it. I don't know. Yeah, and I think we're past the point where you'd tell that story, right? You would have told that story in that episode at yeah. the end. Um, so it's probably won't be made explicit, but that could be part of what's going on in his head if he just doesn't believe in Empire anymore. Yeah. Philly Nick says, hey, guys, this show is so visually amazing. Recently, Dune Part 1 is the only thing that comes close, in my opinion. I agree with that. And I think one of the reasons you're seeing commonalities is because both of these big blockbuster series and movies are trying to show us things that we've never seen before where a lot of the science fiction that I've seen of late seems to be very grounded in reality. Like you're not going to see things on the expanse or for all mankind that you haven't seen before. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a couple yeah, of things and yeah. the expanse, but mostly it's like, you're seeing stuff that looks like NASA in 200 years, you know, or NASA mm-hmm. in 20, 30 years in the case of for all mankind. Um, whereas this is just like, they, they can just be fantastic. They don't yeah. have to conform to any kind of material science or structural limitations. They can be bold on, you know, Dune and and this show. And I, I think that's why like and, and I that's the stuff that always got me excited as a little kid is like, you know, the reason I, li- I gravitate to science fiction and fantasy is that it could show me things. that not only I'd never seen before, I couldn't even imagine. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, 
there's definitely been a lot of these stories told with fantasy lately, but I'm I'm happy to see them being told with sci-fi because it has that skin that I'm more interested in on it. Um, you know, instead of elves waving wands or shit, it's like uh, techno wizards waving wands and shit, right? <laughs> Which makes all the difference. <laughs> yeah, for me, totally. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Philly Nick says, having said all that, wow, they are covering a lot of ground here in just the first four episodes. I have so many questions about the progress of Foundation Empire. With our pause, they just in- introduced the mule, the priest, Bel Rios, Queen Sarah, the Cloud Dominion, her familiar side. Seems all very ambitious. We shall see. I'm tightening my seatbelt and reclining my chair and just enjoying the ride and hoping for the best. Um, does it feel like it's going really fast for you? Uh, it feels like it's a good pace. I'm, I'm never bored. I'm never thinking I'm lost either. So yeah, they, they, I think they're really nailing the pacing of it this season. I, re- I enjoyed this quote that, uh, Goyer, uh, shared during his AMA on r slash television about Asimov, where he had written the original foundation trilogy and then set it aside for 30 years. And then he got paid to make some sequels and some follow-ups and he's like damn well i need to go back and reread my trilogy to see where i left things off so this is this is a direct quote from asimov he says so i picked up my own copy of the foundation trilogy and i began reading because i had to i hadn't read the trilogy in 30 years and while i remember the general plot i didn't remember the details you and me asimov were right there together in that <laughs> it says besides before beginning a new foundation novel i had to immerse myself in a style and atmosphere of the series so i read it And I read it with mounting unease. I kept waiting for something to happen and nothing ever did. All three books, all three volumes, the near, all nearly quarter of a million of words consisted of thoughts and conversations. Absolutely no action, Mm -hmm. no physical suspense. Mm -hmm. The man himself recognized the flaws of his work contemporaneously in his own lifetime. So like, I just think it's super fucking rich how some people are being just ultra orthodox in the reading of Asimov where it's like if he could go back and redo it and tell things in a more streamlined straightforward exciting way he could would have so I don't know it, I'll say, uh, I'll I'll say just, he I misdiagnosed just... the problem I, I, I'm because that's the thing that got me into Foundation it's the thing that made Foundation so impressive to me is that they didn't need the action to make the, this the, a, the extremely ideas compelling themselves were so story. interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was bigger than any one action scene, right? It was the scale of it was like nothing I'd ever read before. Having but, said that. But yeah, adding action to it, I don't think it's taking anything away. So yeah, if you're still getting you go those back epic and, feelings. And uh, beef up the characters, beef up the action, and not lose any of the inherent fascination of the ideas and the world building, then right. that's, that's just key. And uh, I think that's what the Goyer and company are trying to do. So uh, successfully, I would add, uh, Joseph says a logistics question. How do you manage to build not one, but three orbital rings and a planet in only 138 years? I suppose it goes back to Gerald's comment to Gale when they arrived at Starbridge. Say what you will about the Empire, but they sure can build. Um, also, my favorite demotivator poster achievement. There's no limit to what you can accomplish with enough vision, perseverance and a limitless supply of expendable labor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, I never, like, you show me 138 years and have the Empire build some three orbital rings around the planet, I don't even bat an eye. Like, did, what, did it take them six months, six years? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they just had the idea with this Cleon, right? <laughs> and 
Klingon yeah, I guess 17th it was the Klingon... is like, build me some rings. Yeah, and they're, I, 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 yeah, I, I guess I just, to me, there's definitely a resource limitation in terms of the Empire, but it's literally on the mm-hmm. lines of like, how many planets can they suck of lithium? You know, it's, it's not like money. Yeah. And things like that and like how much can they project and how much can they protect and um to me and- the story they're telling is of the empire spending the last hundred years building a vanity project that is all mm-hmm. about pr and marketing rather than genuinely trying to make the lives of their citizens better at the same time the 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 imp- empire the personages of the empires hearts have grown harder and harder to the plight of those same people so yep. like now it's it's not a it's not a bug it's a feature oh, i want them to see the rings i want them to know that they're enslaved i want them to know mm-hmm. that they have no hope uh, like it's just it's madness yeah it's that that stage of of the empire from star wars where they're tightening their grip right and yeah. and more and more is slipping through their fingers that's that's what it feels like to me is the empire is so out of touch so wanting to rule with an iron fist that even their grandiose uh gestures become an image building project and they're actually not that grandiose right they're they're, they're, they're telling the wrong image yeah they're 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 showing themselves as an empire in decline by their lack of ambition and and forward thinking yeah, and it's not even like standing up to first scrutiny. It's like when the Cloud Dominion people are coming in and Sarah after talking to Rue, they're not like, oh my God, look how big and impressive these rings are. It's like, oh, this is like a threat display of a small lizard that's trying to look bigger than it actually is. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's not even working. It's not like you have to sit there and think about it, meditate, and be clever. It's like on first, that's, oh, this looks, this looks pretty ostentatious, you know? Yeah. Uh, Scott says it's not clear to me whether the two versions of a Harry and a prime radiant are connected or to what degree I think they're fully connected and if so it's a very important factor I assume that while everyone in the show talks about Harry's plan the plan itself is in fact updating at least every time the vault is open or it's being constantly updated by the prime radiant that's in the wild every time it's opened by updated I mean the Gale and Salver's viewing of psychohistory while on Synax demonstrates the actions of Raish and Gale have resulted in alternative branching of psychohistory being possible with thousands of crises as a possible outcome. It seems like the view of psychohistory model on Synex was updated from the original view while still on Trantor before Harry died. It makes it seem as though the one, uh, the prime radiant has altered the input variables on the psychohistory prediction based on the updated information that Gale, having not been on Terminus, uh, to guide the Foundation. Their traveling companion, Harry, the one that now has a body, is aware that Gale and Salver have some form of a psychic activity. Does that mean the Prime Radiant now has an updated vision version of psychohistory in which, for lack of a better phrase, mutant abilities are updated input for variables? If so, and if, this is what I'm not certain about, the Prime Radiant as the quantum computer capable of being in two places at once knows this information, does that mean that the updated psychohistory model that includes psychic humans as variables have resulted in the uh, Voltary and Prime Radiant being updated and therefore asking mm. for Hober Mallow. Do you do you think that this is how the Prime Radiant works? That it's able to yeah, kind of wake up constantly updating. Seeing that because like you're you're talking about your your you've got, you know, this is like this Donald Rumsfeld quote. You got your known knowns, mm-hmm. the things you know, you got your known unknowns, the things that you know you don't wonder know. about, like the enemy's exact troop disposition and their strengths and what weapons they have and then you have the unknown unknowns which are the questions you don't even have enough information to know how to ask 
mm-hmm. that's what he's getting at. It's like if Harry gr- creates psycho history, not knowing the humans are going to mutate and be psychic. Yeah. You don't even know the right course of history to take because this is just a, a huge unplotted variable. So do you, do you think that, do you agree with him that like it has to be taking in new information and making new assumptions? I th- or, I, well, I want to know the mechanism behind that. Like it, especially when you look at, you know, the experience that Harry had turning human again, right? Like, uh, Kellogg's, I, what's her name? Kenna, Kella, uh, Kale. Kale Kale is out there on some other world doing who knows what, right? Um, this could be an information gathering operation by the prime radiant. Um, I, I guess I just want to know the mechanism by which it gets new information because it seems fairly self-contained in that, uh, object. And I would assume that it would have to be given new information. But I think that's what he's saying, like, regardless of which Harry knows it, as long as one of them knows it, then that that quantum connection between the prime radiance. Uh-huh. Exists, but now it's then different. They would both know it. It's even different than that with Harry being a human. Right. Like, how does that work now? Is Harry. Right. Because Harry might have been attached to knowing what's happening on Foundation because of that attachment um, to the other Harry. But now he's a human. So does that change the equation? I, I think well, you're right though. Like it it has it has probably just learned that Salvor and uh Gale and I guess all these uh mentalics are also out there. You know? Yeah, like so if you didn't know what re- Gale and re- and uh Salvor were now, you got a name for it. You you know that like if they get sufficient training, they'll probably be able to manifest similar powers. So it's um, gonna recalculate, right? Well, so the other which I think is a cooler solution, but I'm not, I'm actually not sure which one they're trying to, the pilot for is that mm-hmm. actually Harry did account for all this. The psycho history is so fucking good that it even takes in human evolution to account. And and how, how could hmm. it not like, like we do like, there is some evolution that goes over when you're talking about long terms of human history in terms of like tens of thousands of years, which is what we're talking about here. Um, it's entirely possible that the Prime Radiant doesn't need to update its shit because it already has all these possibilities within it. Now, what it doesn't know is which path humanity is actually going down on, you know. And I think that's what I got from uh, hmm. Gale's the show Nasalvor is like we are supposed to be driving down this very narrow path that gets us to our shortest dark age. But we're actually way over here because the prime radiant seeing that we've blown through several turns or we're starting to blow through one turn is going to take. So, like, I, I, I don't know that it needs to update its priors. Like, it could be that the that the prime radiant has everything it needs to predict things like humanity becoming psychic. It could actually in the same way that yeah, Harry maybe. looked at the Invictus and was able to figure out what's going on in that and predict its path. It could be that he's aware because um uh, uh god rachel house what is her name uh tabor what tape what the 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 goddess the 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 head mentalic that we met this episode i can't remember her oh name. uh tim tim uh tim l tim timba timberland yes uh it's entirely possible that like harry had enough because like she's been building this thing for probably quite some time um, it's entirely possible that Harry saw evidence of these kind of like one-off psychics being drawn to some place that he was able to make inferences and put that into the, the prime radiant. But I also think the prime radiant, if it's worth its salt, 
could anticipate things like human evolution. I don't know. Yeah, I, hmm. And when I said it's cooler, it's like, you know, like there's, a, I think it's a quote by Einstein about what is more impressive, a God that handcrafts every piece of creation and puts it into a garden and, and, you know, just, just makes the earth tilt. So, or is it more impressive to have a deity to create a big bang and like knowing that it's all going to have, it's like, what's more important, like a, a person going and sinking in a ball in the pool table one at a time or a person that like breaks it in such a way that all the balls hit into the pockets from the first shot. Most mm -hmm. people say the second, but yet we envision things like God is more of like, you know, like a master tinkerer, you know, to sit in there and like, like Santa in his workshop. I think the prime radiance cooler if it doesn't need its up the priors updated because it feels like an unknown, unknown to me though. You know, it's, it's like psycho history to me was always like semi plausible because of its ability to predict based on what it knows about the beings it's trying to predict the behaviors of. And well, that changes. We've talked many times about how fundamentally society would change if we were all psychic, if we could literally hear other people's thoughts. Yeah. Everything would change about our society. Uh, that to me feels like something fundamental, like a, a massive shift that psychohistory couldn't predict, at least as I understand psychohistory. Well, in psychohistory is not, I mean, I just point out that psychohistory is not nearly as impressive as it seems if it cannot predict something that it, it wouldn't be able to know from its current day. Right, um, which might be why Harry Selden ends up being a charlatan. I, it's, it's, I don't yeah. know yet because I've only read that first book, but. Well, and as we get further on, did you get to the second foundation part? That's pretty early in the books, isn't it? Um. Maybe not the first one. I, I don't that, think that's in the first one, but I couldn't. Swear I mean, to you, it. You, so so the second foundation stuff is already you can tell that like it is yes, psychohistory is impressive, but also Harry is putting his thumb on the scale as he it needs some guidance, yeah, and it needs some guidance, it needs some correction, it needs some subtle correction. So like, yeah, I already know that like it's not entirely the second, or at least that's um you know the the essentially knocking all the balls in from the the first break. It's not <laughs> uh -huh. that, but. Okay. I think okay. it's not entirely where like Harry literally has to update every prior when he wakes up or the prime radio is going to go off course either. I think it's a little bit. I don't know, know if the prime radio was sentient in the books. It certainly wasn't in the book that I read. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a riff too that is super I don't interesting. Mean, there was a prime a radiant. Possibilities. Was there a prime radiant? I, I, there might not have been. No, it might have just been the algorithm, you know, I, not encompassed in some physical form yeah i i also yeah i thought that was like an invention they had for the show too but sure which i mean that that's a, a big wrinkle if you have an entity within that is sort of you know is an embodiment of the algorithms it could have its own will and its own mechanisms for acquiring information and changing its own formulas so let's get to the second thing that Scott really wanted to talk about. So if you grant, you know, regardless of whether you think the thing's updating its priors or not, he says, what I'm getting at here is while Go uh, the vo Gale's voiceover tells us repeatedly that the theory of psychohistory is positing that individuals and their actions are meaningless on a galactic scale, mm -hmm. the narrative that uh, of events in the show reinforces the idea that key individual actions entirely shape key branching points in psychohistory and therefore change the shape of the galaxy. Psychic human abilities is going to be a big input variable change, for example, but so are the acts of Hober or Raish. 
therefore feels like Gale's narrative is building towards psychohistory, tells us the individuals and their actions are insignificant at a galactic scale, but psychohistory is wrong. Yeah. It always, every time she speaks in one of these voiceovers, it feels like there's an unspoken but, uh, at least to me, because, you know, that's a traditional, a much more traditional narrative, right? Like, you know, the human heart and the human will and everything conquers, conquers all, right? But you also like got the Harry universe saying, is unfeeling, but humanity, you know, points out that that's not true because we exist. But you also have the creator of psychohistory in the show saying things like, you know, when Gail says you couldn't have served your foundation wouldn't have survived the first crisis if it wasn't for Salver. He's like, ah, nah, conditions were right. If it wasn't Salver to been somebody else, mm-hmm. which is. You know, this is the show. This is the the one of the things at the heart of the show is the conceit between do we believe in the big man version of history, the great man version of history, mm-hmm. where singular individuals bend their will onto the globe and to the universe and affect their will writ large, or is it more like human history is about a set of conditions? that make things inevitable and if it wasn't napoleon it would have been somebody else if it wasn't you know Lenin, it would have been somebody else if it wasn't truman uh dropping a bomb it's somebody uh, an atomic bomb would have been dropped within six months by somebody like it's it's that and i think that's what asimov believed and that's kind of like where i'm a little bit more that's where i'm looking for but it seems like a lot of people watching the show thinking that psycho history is bullshit and it is all great men well that's what i mean right like that's the traditional narrative from most television shows yes and this is not a traditional narrative in really any way uh in foundation the books or the shows and i think so you think that's the thing that's so interesting well well that's the thing that i'm i'm curious to see what they do with it because if they take this down a more traditional path, then they're going to say all those butts that they're implying right now that I'm feeling right now because I'm a trained TV watcher, right? I'm a trained narrative consumer. Um, If they go with something different, then I will. Yeah. I'll I'll feel like I should have seen all those butts. And then the show will tell me, no, there was no, but there was no, but sometimes I feel like I I should have seen all the butts too. Yeah, I said I want to see all the butts. All the butts. What's wrong with that? We'll see, because like, you're right. It could be that, uh, you know, uh, that maybe Goyer and the other writers think that the great the the great man theory or the great person theory has got, you know, that, that maybe we've overreacted the other way and we're thinking, ah, it doesn't matter. It's all about the material conditions. And maybe mm-hmm, they're going to mm-hmm. come in swooping in like uh, Batman and save the day for us individualists. I don't know. Because yeah, I, we'll I you know, it's up in the air. I, I don't necessarily when I talk to people who are all about the universe being deterministic, as far as I can tell, they're right. But I don't like it. It doesn't I don't feel like good. it. And I, yeah. and I choose not to believe it. Um, well, that's, do you choose not to believe it or do you just not yeah, believe it? I've because... rejected. I've rejected determinism pretty hard. <laughs> pretty hard. I, I yeah, I, I could be a whole well, other conversation. Of course you have. But, yeah. but was that your choice? That's what I'm asking. True. True. You can't be mad at me. <laughs> Just doing what my machinery is telling me to do. Uh, that was set in from in stone from the fucking Big Bang. Uh, JJ says, "I bet this is the hundredth email telling you you don't understand basic Newtonian physics." But terminal velocity is reached when the gravitational force pulling something downward matches the wind resistance slowing the item down. This is why things burn up when falling into and out of the atmosphere. The element is falling much faster than terminal velocity, and when the atmosphere starts to slow it down, an enormous amount of heat is produced as the energy is dissipated. Is that 
are they I, falling that fast? I mean, isn't that a that's them? the thing? Like to me, it's all about relative. What I want people to understand is that if you go from space to Earth, you don't have to burn up. You know, you don't have to have a blade of shielding. Like you have a sufficiently powerful spacecraft that can power descent. Your but your ship's not going to like even glow because you're going to be going slow. Yeah, you can descend to one mile an hour if you wanted, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't understand why we think that. Uh, the, the, and I see this all the fucking time. Anytime that someone goes from the the from from Earth orbit to the surface, or from any planet orbit to the surface, or vice versa, they always show me hitting the atmosphere and glowing. But that's only the case for our form of space travel because we're using the earth's atmosphere to as a break and we are expending enormous right. amount of heat to do that i actually looked this up there is a, someone that this was from quora but someone did the math on someone asked like if you took a person 100 kilometers straight up let's say that that's where uh bell rios and his husband started 100 kilometers mm-hmm. straight drop no side there's no orbital motion you're just uh, above chicago and you're going to drop straight to chicago with no side velocity Mm-hmm. says the first 75,000 meters, 75% of the fall is going to have very little atmospheric resistance. You're going to hit a thicker part of the atmosphere below 25,000 meters, going approximately Mach 3.5. A 100-kilogram person falling at that speed has a kinetic energy of 72 million joules. Now, you're going to hit the dense part of the atmosphere at Mach 3.5. Once you hit the th- thick atmosphere, you need to immediately start to de- decelerate, of course, they mentioned that the SR-71 Blackbird, the fastest plane we've ever met or ever made at 75 meters in the atmosphere, 25,000 meters in the atmosphere, going Mach 3.5, the leading edge of the wing would get up to about 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit. This Enough person did person. the math. This person did the math and said a thousand kil- or a hundred kilogram man dropping from a hundred kilometers in 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 orbit, well, not in orbit, but above the Earth. The final skin temperature when he hit the Earth would be between 239C or 463 degrees Fahrenheit, which is pretty fucking hot. Yeah. But I'm going to suggest that the material science of the foundation era is going to easily be able to compensate. It's going to be easily be able to deal with that with a, a spacesuit that these guys are wearing. So that was okay, my point. Well, I mean, if... if... <laughs> if you're just saying, like, their technology is so good that they can dissipate the heat without glowing, I guess... I'm saying there's not that much heat. 463 degrees Fahrenheit is not enough to get any. No, that was glowing. Celsius. No, that, that's 239 Cel- degrees Celsius or 463 degrees Fahrenheit. Ah, they did the okay. conversion. I thought you said between. Um, I'm pretty gotcha. sure our spacesuits today can deal with that kind of temperature. Hmm. I don't know. So anyway, I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe I'm, I'm I don't qualify understand. to judge this, but maybe I don't understand fundamental physics. I just think that like yeah just because you go from space to atmosphere doesn't mean it's it's a relative velocity between you and the planet and if you've got a powered descent there's not a single there's not a, there your ship shouldn't have to deal with super high temperatures but on the other hand i, I also don't have a problem with ships screaming in the atmosphere because i think the material science of all these ships should probably be able to deal with it but um let's call it there. We've had a lot of feedback. It's already been 40 plus minutes of it. So let's, let's stop. Let's stop with the feedback right there. We'll have plenty more next week. Uh, if you would like to, uh, follow the other things we're doing, cause right now we got justified city primeval. We're wrapping up a great, another great science fiction show, uh, star Trek, strange new worlds. 
Uh, we're going to be getting into a lot of stuff coming down the pike. Uh, there's a new Daryl Dixon Walking Dead. Uh-huh. Not sure if it's advisable or not. It's a very murky hit future of that series, but we're going to jo- yeah. go check that out. What's the other one that's coming back that we're excited about? Uh, Loki Season 2. Yes, Loki Season 2. Uh, if you want to know what we, we got coming up, tons of movies too, tons of other stuff we're doing. Um, uh, the best way to find that out is all of our social medias. Pick which one you like, at Bald Move, unless it's TikTok. We're at Baldest Move there. And then finally, if you'd like to keep us doing what we're doing here at Bald Move, support us. Get some free stuff for yourself. Well, I guess not free stuff. You're paying for it. Uh, Add free feeds, bonus content. Uh, please go to support.baldmove.com and join the club. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for David uh, self uh, self proclaimed interesting, unusual. What did he say? Unique. God damn it! I can unique. never unique, not exponential. A oh. unique episode of Foundation. I can't wait to see what the fuck that means. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Hey, respect and enjoy the podcast. <laughs>